0: As a general rule, if anybody guarantees you a rate of return, it's probably too good to be true, unless that person is sitting in a bank with a giant sign over their head that says this investment is protected by the FDIC. She signed a consultancy contract with Grant one of Grant Cardone's consultancy businesses for something like $700 a month, and she got to where she couldn't afford it. It was twofold. One, she wasn't seeing the the her business wasn't improving like she was promised it would, and she was paying close to eight hundred dollars a month. She tried to terminate her seven hundred dollar subscription per month. The sales rep on the phone said, "You have to pay the entire contract,
1: sixteen thousand dollars." If you're following my advice and it's not working for you, well, then you're
0: doing it wrong. It's your fault. And if if you if you think about what you just said, that is one of the characteristics that we know exists in cults you did what I said but it's not working it means you didn't do it hard enough you didn't do it you didn't you didn't pay enough money you didn't try hard enough the issue is you not the fact that my program doesn't work it's it's you and so you prepaid for a service you never got that you cannot legally enforce and you bought that service with no intention of paying back the credit card company that's fraud if you're going to make the claims you better be able to back them up and if you make a claim you can't back up the legal term for that is fraud. Have you thought about like what if things don't go well for you? I was like, "Oh, I'm sure they'll be fine." She goes, "Well, what if they
1: don't go fine?" I said, "You mean like in a year from now, I could barely pay my bills. I'm riding the bus to try and get get to work and back." And I said, I'm, "I'm I'm you know days away from being on the street or something." She goes, "Yeah." I said, "I'm going to commit a massive massive fraud and I'm going to leave the United States because that's where I fucked up last time." Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am here with Zach Morgan. He uh, runs a YouTube channel called Your Lawyer Friend Zach. And so definitely subscribe to it. But we're going to be talking to him today about Grant Cardone and his brother. And I think Grant Cardone's brother's ex-wife. I don't know. We've got some stuff to talk about. We've got some things that are happening in the Cardone world. and check out the video first of all what's the first issue with grant cardone i mean as far as the one thing i had heard about i mean just overall and i know there are people out there that that love him which i don't get i mean i think he's just over the top arrogant not in a comical way like i some arrogant people i find comical like entertaining and right that um, they don't really bother me. I typically say like I like arrogant people, but when you're abusive and it, and it becomes you know narcissistic and just is pure abuse, it's like I I don't get it. And and that's the way I I perceive him. He's sure, you know, he won't back down. He's abusive. He won't apologize. He's running what appears to me to be like a Ponzi scheme. He's having people invest in in a business that's supposed to be investing in real estate and like you you we had talked about and he's guaranteeing returns which I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do so
0: yeah but you were saying yeah so it's so yeah so he's, he's got a lot of business interests. so um i don't know how many people know this he's a scientologist he is ot8 i believe i can't remember if it's his wife is ot8 as well that's that's the highest level of scientology even though the bridge to total freedom goes to like ot13 or something before L. Ron Hubbard died, he only wrote to eight. So nine, 10, 11 don't actually exist. They claim they do, but they don't exist. They were never written. Um, he's donated, and I I'm, this number could be off a little bit, but it's something like $35 million to Scientology over the years. That's on top of the half a million dollars in 15 years it takes to get to OTA. On top of that, he's donated $35 million. So he is probably the most well-known scientologist after people like uh John Travolta and um Tom Cruise. Yeah, that guy for whatever reason of all of the most famous I forget the name, right? Um yeah, so he's he's probably in the top 5 most famous scientologists. Certainly living scientologist Kirsty Alley recently died of cancer. Um and she was she was a scientologist as I understand it, but Uh, So, and he, uh, he did an interview uh, on a podcast one time and he was confronted with Xenu. And I know I mentioned Xenu before, and that's, you know, the, the sort of the galactic God and uh, this, the Xenu story is what sort of made Scientology famous on South Park. So South Park did a a, a Scientology episode and they talked about Xenu. Grant Cardone was confronted about Xenu. Uh, in in, an, in a podcast interview, and immediately went on the defensive, nope, stop, I know what you're going to say, and it's just not true, and this and that and the other. But that's the way they're taught to handle it. They legitimately believe that if you are not prepared to hear the story of Xenu, you're not going to believe it. Shocker, we don't believe it. <laughs> right, there's a surprise. Um, but those who know about it are basically sworn to secrecy, and you are you have to deny its existence, and none of it's true, even though the material has leaked and we can see it. He also has a variety of uh, businesses that he either owns or is part of or markets. He has what he calls the 10X program. And if you follow his advice, you will increase whatever your business, your family, your whatever, 10X, 10 times. Those are expensive uh, subscriptions, and you can go to his seminars and pay thousands of dollars to see him in person. Um, And I'll give a couple of examples from a Huffington Post article in a minute. He also owns and operates or at least is a part owner in Cardone Capital, which is a real estate investing company and uh, is constantly seeking investors in which he guarantees returns for reasons we'll talk about at the appropriate time. You generally can't guarantee returns. If it is a guaranteed return, it's going to be something like a savings account or a certificate of deposit that is backed by a federally insured bank protected by the federal government. And then... uh, and then his his brother gary cardone and as i believe it's gary's ex-wife some of these facts might be a little bit wrong but the general synopsis is correct um they owned and operated a credit card chargeback company and that was designed to help merchants uh, people who sell goods who have merchant accounts to take credit cards to help dispute when a customer would say this is an unauthorized purchase As a merchant account holder, if your account gets hit too many times, that account closes and you can no longer do business out of that account. Kind of like if you get too many copyright strikes on a YouTube channel, you get demonetized, right? Right. And if you you become an egregious offender, YouTube says you can't ever have a YouTube channel ever again if you become too egregious an offender. It's sort of the same theory. And so this credit card chargeback company was helping vendors fight these chargeback claims. Give me my money back. It's an unauthorized purchase. And it was getting around the merchant account. So essentially, what it was doing is you would uh, pay this credit card chargeback company, say $1,000, and they would charge, they would uh, bill to your account, basically pay you to your merchant account, let's uh, say a $900, dollars transactions. The merchant account chargeback limit is based on a percentage of your transactions, not a percentage of the money. So if I can pad my transactions with thousands of $1 transactions, if somebody disputes a $15,000 transaction, but that's one out of a thousand transactions, it's not going to flag my account, even though it was for a huge sum of money. It's based on the number of, of transactions, not the value of each transaction. Okay. They they were investigated and sued and a bunch of other things. And so that business has been shut down and that's, that's Grant's brother, Gary and his ex-wife. Uh, or it's in the process of shutting down bankruptcy. I forget the exact legal status, but it's certainly, it, it, it's in a mess. Grant Cardone also has a real estate investing business where he guarantees returns. If you give me this money, I'll guarantee rates of 5, 10, whatever percent. I, don't, I forget the percentages off the top of my head. As a general rule, if anything, and I'm looking right into the camera instead of at you to say this. As a general rule, if anybody guarantees you a rate of return, it's probably too good to be true. Unless that person is sitting in a bank with a giant sign over their head that says this investment is protected by the FDIC. Savings accounts that bear interest, certificates of deposit, money market accounts. If you see somebody guaranteeing you a rate of return of 25%, they're lying. lie. Even right now where the money that we have to pay to borrow money, really high interest rates at the consumer level, banks are still paying 1%, maybe 2% if you're lucky. Because it's a low-risk investment, but it's a guaranteed return. And real estate can be a very lucrative opportunity. It's been very good to me and people in my family. Um, But there's also some downside risk. It's hard to guarantee returns. If everybody pays their rent on time, yeah, for sure, I'm going to make money. The first time there's a fire, or I have to replace the carpet, or I have to replace appliances, or a renter who paid a $500 deposit, causes $10,000 worth of damage and I can't sue them for the difference. So I have to eat that $9,500. That's outgo. That's not a guaranteed return. Now my expenses have gone up. So a guaranteed return on an uh, on an on a real estate investment isn't a thing. There's always risk on any investment unless it's, you know, in a, a, a secure like a a federal savings bond or, you know, a savings account or a certificate of deposit. Every other ex, except from those, except for those, There's always risk, and even theoretically, a federal savings bond has risk to it because the federal government could default on their loan if Congress doesn't raise the debt ceiling. If they don't authorize the Treasury to continue to pay the bonds, those bonds become worthless. Now, they're backed by the full faith and credit, and Congress always gets their act together just in time, but barely. But the bigger issue that I see is this 10x program. There's a, there's a Huffington Post article that I'll be happy to share with you when we're finished so you can throw it in the description if you want to. There's a Huffington Post article that details examples. There was a chiropractor who was, her business was struggling financially. And as a result, her family was struggling financially. She signed a consultancy contract with Grant one of Grant Cardone's consultancy businesses for something like $700 a month. And she got to where she couldn't afford it it was twofold one she wasn't seeing the the her business wasn't improving like she was promised it would and she was paying close to eight hundred dollars a month if i'm struggling to make payroll i got to start getting rid of subscriptions she tried to terminate her seven hundred dollar subscription per month the sales rep on the phone said you have to pay the entire contract sixteen thousand dollars she didn't have sixteen thousand dollars she didn't have eight hundred dollars that settled she, I think to the point that she was even sued. But that ultimately settled for far less than 16000 for an unknown amount. That's one example of many that the Huffington Post claims. If people are paying thousands of dollars to sit in the front row of these seminars, and the price is different to sit in the nosebleed seats of these seminars, is cheap, is cheaper than to sit in the front row. I've never been to a motivational speaker that had first-class seating. Right. You bought a ticket. That was your ticket to get in the door. You want front row seats? Arrive early. Right. It's, it was a flat ticket rate. Um, and at the end of the day, when you look at all of the business models he's in, from my perspective as a lawyer, it, it's a, it appears to be a scam. Part of it is a Ponzi scheme using new investor money to pay old investors. Um, part of it is just a scam. There's nothing there. You're paying for these these business uh, seminars. If you've ever listened, and he makes some of his stuff available on YouTube. You can listen, not to the full seminar because he couldn't charge for it. But you hear the high points. I haven't found anything beneficial that I've heard there. Right? I, I mean, this is this is run an eliminate stand as a ten year old kid type of business advice.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I, I was going to say, you know, the thing about the nosebleed, you know, seats or the seating and the thing. I I've watched a video where he was basically insulting the people that weren't sitting up front, so that they were basically losers. And I mean, it's like, these are people that pay thousands of dollars to come see you for motivation, motivation. And you're basically telling them that they're, they're all losers. Like, you know, I I understand that people are motivated in different ways, but I'm pretty sure that if, if the Bud Light debacle didn't teach you anything, you know, it's maybe you shouldn't mock the people that are paying you, you know, maybe, maybe you should realize, you know, know your audience and he just uh you know they the obnoxious you know oh if you're not doing it if you're following my advice and it's not working for you well then you're doing it wrong it's your fault
0: well no, i did yeah, exactly what you said well you then you're just a loser it's like and if if you if you think about what you just said that is one of the characteristics that we know exists in cults you did what i said but it's not working it means you didn't do it hard enough you didn't do it you didn't you didn't pay enough money you didn't try hard enough the issue is you not the fact that my program doesn't work right it's it's you and so there's a little bit of a religious cult sort of connotation to it um and if you look at the way Scient so the way you traditionally progress in scientology is what they call auditing those of us who are not in scientology we would for, generally refer to that as counseling meeting with a, a therapist or a counselor to work through these issues and Scientology's whole shtick, the reason they're able to hang on to these people and get so much money for them, you promote to a certain level and then they say, oh, we see an error in your paperwork. You didn't do it right. Go back and pay to do it again. Oh, there's something different. The rules have changed. You have to do it again, but you have to pay to do it again. Oh, it didn't work for you. You didn't get the results you wanted. Pay to do it again. You didn't do it right the first time. You didn't do it well enough. You didn't try hard enough. That's exact. so if you, that's what he's been taught to in Scientology and now he's charging people to give them that same advice. Oh, it's not working. My system's perfect. If it's not working, it's user error. Not because I have a bad product. Or maybe even if the product is legit, maybe it doesn't work for you because it's not the best thing for you. Maybe there's another way of doing things that's better suited to whatever your problem is. Right. Well, you know who it is working for? Grant
1: Cardone. Grant Cardone.
0: You know you know and he's he's, mean, he's always taking mean. pictures yeah he's always taking pictures in his mansion shooting videos from his Gulfstream jet um which you know and he also and I'm not saying debt is bad but he, he is a he, he preaches you don't have to spend any of your money use the bank's money use a lender's money there's a time and place where borrowing money can be good you know most people don't have the money to buy a home in cash so they use a mortgage company to help them buy that home Maybe you need a vehicle and you can, I'm not saying go buy a $100,000 pickup when you make 30 grand a year, but you find something that fits in your budget. And if you don't have that money saved, then you can work with the lender to help you buy a car. You shouldn't go borrow $3 million and buy $3 million worth of real estate at 1% down. We saw this in 2008 when the subprime mortgage bubble burst and there was nothing left over. You could borrow 110% put zero down.
1: In the '80s, it was you know the savings and loan crisis. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's yeah, it's not like it's the one. It's not like there's there's one example of it. I mean, it's you know it's like it happens every 20 years or so. So you know it's it's there's constant uh, examples of it. Uh, if there's any fluctuation at all, people start going down like the t- Titanic. So you know you have to have some cash reserves. Yeah. Um, but and, you
0: know, sorry. no, 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 no. Go go ahead. Well, part of the scam that he runs with this 10x marketing thing. You go to the you go to the convention and then he wants you to sign up for these monthly subscriptions. Uh, the, the Huffington Post article, somebody signed up for a seven year consulting contract. The only thing that I've ever guaranteed more than seven years is a, is, a, is a mortgage on a home. seven years in consultancy fees like if your product works in a very short period of time, I shouldn't need you anymore. If I still need business consultancy services for the same problem after seven years, something's wrong. And then when people say it's either not working or I want out of this contract, or in the case of this chiropractor, I just simply don't have the money to pay the bill. I need to re I need to reappropriate this money for something else. As a business owner, I'm I'm adjusting my budget, and then I call and say I can't make my payments, and they say, "Well, they give us sixteen thousand dollars. I don't have it." And you want to sue me? Fine, I'll go file bankruptcy, which is a whole different issue. Because Grant Card, there's a video of Grant Cardone promoting bankruptcy fraud. And when you, if you want to talk about that, we can. There's a video of him on social media that he put out, or somebody on his marketing team put out, promoting bankruptcy fraud.
1: Right. It, it, yeah. It, well, I mean, one, I'd like to. So there's a what's he what's he essentially saying? Like. So, prepare yeah. yourself or what are they yeah are you what the planned bankruptcies
0: yeah so yeah so that's different than the prepackaged, where a business knows it's 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 not going to be able to pay its bills so it works with its lenders and creditors to work out a you know a, a, a settlement it then hires a bankruptcy lawyer it's prepackaged, and the judge signs it that's in big publicly traded companies especially oil and gas companies when the price of the petroleum fluctuates that's happened that happens in oklahoma about every three or five years with one of our large oil and gas companies here um but, so, with the bankruptcy fraud, what he says is, well, if you know you can't pay your bills anyway, you know you're going broke, why don't you go ahead and sign me up? Why don't you go ahead and hire me and my business to be a consultant for you, because you've prepaid for that service, and then you file bankruptcy. So, now, I've been paid by your credit card company in full. Put it on your Visa card. Put it on the MasterCard. I've been paid in full. Discharge the debt that you owe to MasterCard or to Visa and bankruptcy, Oh, and by the way, you still get access to these services. So, one, it's bad faith; it's 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 fraud and bankruptcy because you're taking on a debt you know you can't pay. You you have no intention at the time you enter that transaction of ever paying Visa back. But secondly, the contract between your business and the con, the consulting agreement, that agreement is between you and Grant Cardone's business, or between your business, your business and Grant Cardone's consultancy firm. When you file bankruptcy, if you close that business and liquidate it and you open business two, you don't have a contractual agreement. Business one did. Business one is bankrupt. It no longer exists. So when you pick up the phone and you call to get those services, they're going to say, sorry, your agreement's with business one, not with business two. So you prepaid for a service you never got that you cannot legally enforce, and you bought that service with no intention of paying back the credit card company. That's fraud.
1: I hear you. <laughs> um, oh gosh, what was the? Uh, what was I going to say? Told you to go ahead and do that. Uh, um, so what's okay? So if if he's doing these things, so the real estate company where people are investing, giving him money to invest in real estate, and he's promising them returns. Like, why hasn't? I mean, I, I understand that he's been investigated,
0: right? Well, as I understand it, he may still be under investigation. As as you know, having been a uh, a, uh, a member of uh, Club Fed for a while, right? The federal government and its various entities, the FBI, the you know, uh, postal service inspecting uh, po- the uh, postal service inspectors, um, the bank bank examiners, the SEC, all these people, they can have investigations that go on for years. So they know the there's larger the fraud- company,
1: the larger the company, the longer it will take.
0: Yeah, because they want because they know that they're going to have one shot at it. Because as soon as they indict you, you're going to stop all. Hopefully, you're going to stop all of your wrongdoing. So they want to find everything you're doing wrong because they're going to get one big swing at you and that's it. Right. And the other
1: thing is that if you're a large corporation, you may mount a defense, and they want to have their ducks in a row. Exactly. I, I always tell people, the the feds work differently than the state. So the state comes, and the state will come, and they'll, they'll believe there's a crime. They will come and arrest you, and then investigate the crime, because a lot of times they can get you to plead guilty, get you to cooperate, get you, to, and they don't, they don't have to go through that whole investigation. Whereas the feds will tend to come in and do an entire investigation before they arrest you. So by the time you get arrested you're done. Like when you sit down with them and start answering questions, like they already know the answers. Yeah. You know, and the state works differently because the state has a smaller budget. They can't afford to do, to mount a two-year investigation without you even knowing it's going on. Yeah. And then arrest you. So, because the feds give out such large sentences and do such complex cases, they have to have an entire investigation prior to arresting you. And a lot of people in the feds will go to trial and they don't want to lose.
0: Well, they can't afford to lose, you know, um, because, because, you know, we talked about this last time we, last time we met and that was the bail reform act, the sentencing reform act, these massive hundred plus year sentences, you know, for years that was just reserved for crack, crack offenses. Uh, everybody's familiar with a hundred, hopefully familiar with a hundred to one. It takes a hundred times more cocaine, powder cocaine to get the same sentence with crack. Right. Yeah. You know, they changed that. Now it's 28 to one. Yeah, it's still it's still a whole lot higher, but it's a whole lot better than it was during the war on drugs, which was incredibly expensive and not terribly successful. Um, but that's that's a different argument for a different day. Um, you know, it's, that's a, that's a whole different animal altogether. Uh, but yeah, so and I've also seen where the state will start an investigation, and the feds are sort of watching in the background. And then when the state gets ready to move on that, the feds will come in and say stop let us take over the investigation because this is not just in Florida. This is also in New York and New Jersey and Ohio and Texas and Louisiana and Kansas and California. So now, instead of you getting 12 to 15 in Florida, you're going to get two to 350 because they're going to hit all these states and try you one time for all of this stuff.
1: So basically, Grant Cardin may
0: be in trouble. I think he very much is. Um, yeah. You know, now he and and here's the thing: he puts on this front that he has a large net worth. He's got, you know, he's always got pictures and videos in the Gulfstream jet, which is a fifty million dollar airplane. He's in front of the, you know, a multi million dollar mansion, really high end exotic cars. But I always ask myself, how much of that does he own, and how much of that does the bank own? Right. I mean, because he he obviously promotes people going into debt, and if he preaches what he. Uh uh if he preaches what uh what he practices, then he's gonna be in debt as well. Right. Uh and so yeah, I see it all the time. Somebody says, Well, uh, you know, my wife and I, we make good money. We drive piece of junk cars that are paid for. I don't need to impress anybody. And then I've got I see people who are making thirty five grand a year driving a hundred thousand dollar pickup. They don't own that pickup. They own an eight hundred and eighty five dollar a month car payment for the next seven years. Right. But they don't own the pickup. It's
1: funny. I, you know, it's fun, I used to obviously borrow money from like hard money lenders, and they would. So, and this would be some guy who's got a three. He's got he's got three to five million dollars of his own money to lend. Yeah, and you would go and, and 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 meet them in a house, and they would pull up in a fifteen year old Volvo, you know, it, or or you know an old twenty year old Mercedes, or. Yeah. You know, some vehicle that you're like, I don't know, you know, like what's up with that with your car? It's like, oh yeah, I've, I've had it forever. Yeah. You're always driving it. Yeah, I know. Do you have another car? I mean, my wife's got a car, you know what I'm saying? Like she's got yeah. like a, 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 you know, a five-year-old Subaru, you know, they'll live in a $2 million house. Yeah. but That's different. That's real estate and it's appreciating. Yeah. so it, it, They're not going
0: to, they're not going to spend their money on things that go down in value.
1: Right. And they don't care because they're worth five million dollars. So I really don't need to impress you.
0: Yeah, if I want to wear sweatpants to work, great. Because this ten million dollar building is paid for. Right, (laughs) right. Like so be it. Uh, And and there's 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 a lot to be said about that. Um, You know, there's a time and place in which you know leverage can be helpful, but we certainly, um, you know, because anytime I see that, I see people driving nice cars. You know, if that's how they want to spend their money, fine. I'm not going to sit in judgment of them, but it doesn't impress me. I see a twenty-six-year-old driving a G-Wagon. Unless you're a professional sports athlete, you probably don't own all of that. You own a very small part of it, and you pay Mercedes Financial a significant sum of money every month for the privilege to put the 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 uh, triangle on the front of the car. Um. So, what do you think is going to happen? Well, it's so. It, it, at some point, the feds, it, it, assuming he is under investigation, at some points the feds are going to move in. Um. It's going to be both. And, and this this is also where the feds have a lot more leverage than states. They'll go after you f- f- criminally and civilly. You and I have talked about any. If if I get a short enough sentence, anybody can manage five years. Maybe not in every state system, but in the federal system, anybody can manage five years. I'm gonna catch fifteen. I'm a co. I'm a. You know. I'm. They're gonna. They're gonna charge me for thirty. I'm gonna plead to fifteen. I'm gonna cooperate. I'm gonna get eight and a half, and then get some bonus time, and I'm out in five. Right. Uh civilly they will go after every nickel you have for the rest of your life and so it's the, the criminal charge is one thing but we have seen people who do time in the in the federal system criminally and they come out and they continue to live a very luxurious life they're able there's really good very good business people who even after they get out of prison they in the in the legit world do well financially there's just because you're a convicted felon doesn't mean you lose the right to be successful Right? they go and they still live a great life and have lots of money that they earned legitimately where that where the feds get you as you understand they'll hunt you down and shake out every couch cushion in every house you've been to in the last 15 years to find every nickel and they will break you and ruin you financially and so the the, the criminal is one thing this the, the the civil liability the financial aspect of it is completely different because the feds will take the airplane and they'll sell it or, what, or they'll keep it and put it in their inventory and use it to go hunt other bad guys. They'll take the car. They'll take the house. They'll uh, they'll take the real estate. The government's not in the business of owning real estate for long periods of time, but they will own it long enough to sell it. Because they have an obligation, if he doesn't file bankruptcy first, to take that, turn it into cash, and pay the investors back. Which, there's never enough money to repay investors in a fraud. But yeah, the investors... I was going to say, for one
1: thing, The the it's, what is the name they're always always attorneys they'll have an, a, an attorney and a who liquidates everything what are those guys called
0: oh the the trustee
1: like the bankruptcy trustee right right like a bankruptcy trustee or even even in you know the case where it's like a um where they where the fed sees everything and starts selling it off to liquidate it uh, it doesn't have to be a bankruptcy um i forget the name of those guys but anyway they they listen, they never sell it for like it, it's a 3 million dollar house and it gets sold for, you know, $1.2 million. And you're yeah. screaming, it's a three million dollar house. It's like, listen, bro, I put it on the market. Somebody yeah. bought it as quick as we're selling it as quick as possible. We're not giving any guarantees. We're not, you know, so they're not holding out for the best price. You know, they're selling this car for five thousand. You're like, that's a forty thousand dollar car. Like they they sell them at rock bottom prices. So you're yeah. thinking uh, they're not concerned about getting the best price. They're concerned with getting it done as quickly and closing
0: out the case and moving on. Yeah. And and they, they have a secondary, and not that it's a bad thing. I don't I necessarily, but they have a secondary interest in. We want to make these investors whole. We want to get all the money we can. But also, for every dollar who's short, is a dollar he owes us. So once he's out of uh, out of lockup, once he's no longer incarcerated, or if he's able to plead out a supervised release sentence. We're still going to own him till the last day he walks because it's accruing interest the whole time.
1: Yeah, I'm not so sure they're concerned about paying um, paying back the getting the investors back. It, but you know, we can disagree on that. So, uh,
0: yeah. Well, and it's yeah th- th- that, that's the argument. Well, we got to pay the investors back. No, you need to get rid of this property so you could just follow this person around till they die and intercept every nickel they make. Right.
1: Well, and I also think what a, you know, if you're, if I'm the person in charge of selling off all of these assets, and these guys are, you know, they're selling it to their, their sister's, you know, their sister's husband's, you know, brother or something. You know what I'm saying? They're selling it to their, their, their high school buddy. They're selling it to like, trust me, there's people who are getting good deals. Like, oh, yeah. Um, so they're, they're just not, I don't, I just never, when I look at the prices that they sell these properties for some of the properties and some of the things I, I knew a guy that had like a, gosh, his company must've been worth $180 million and it got sold for like 40. This is what's so funny about it. I think it got sold for 60 million. He owed, listen, he owed like, owed the government like $20 million. He had a company that was worth 180 million. Let's say they sold it for 60 million. And they said, you don't, okay, you don't know it's the 20 million. He goes, Well, wait a second. What about the other 40 million? You don't get to make money on the sale. You're supposed to give me that to me. So they actually argued with him and litigated with him that they wanted to keep the money. And eventually they gave him a sentence reduction in order to keep the money. They let his father out and let him out. Yeah. Because they didn't want to give him the forty million dollars, and you already sold the company at a discount of hundred and twenty million dollars. Like you, yeah, just, you sold it for yeah, you sold it for a third of what it's worth, right? And and he was yep. he was furious. Like he had evaluations, he had had offers. Like he'd had offers like within a year or two before um, he went to trial, and it was it was a medical uh, company anyway. The point is, is that like I, I, every time I've looked into any of these things where they end up selling some company or assets, it's always, it's not like it's, oh, it's slightly undervalued. It's absolutely ridiculously undervalued what they sell, what they end up selling them for. Yeah. So
0: yeah, they they have no independent motivation to give fair market value. They're just going to get rid of it. If it sells for good money, great. It's probably not going to. And if you look at the number of, if you look at the bidders who are bidding in these auctions, it's an auctions what they do. They take it to public auction. Um, and they know it's a public auction. So they know they're going to get it for cheap. You know, there's people, I mean, I know people who go to government auctions and they say, I'm not going to pay more than one third of the actual cash value of this item, whatever it is. Could be Could be a bucket of straws. I'm not going to pay 33 cents. I'm not going to pay more than 33 cents for a $1 straw. I'm just not going to.
1: Hmm. Um. so cardone so what so you think eventually
0: he's indicted yeah I, th- I think he's indicted um i think it's i think uh at some point he tries to get a plea agreement um what i have found is in my experience at least sort of looking and, and observing these cases the people who uh are the most arrogant. The people who walk around like they've got the the biggest thing in the room, are the first to run and say, "What can I do? Help me!" Oh yeah. right? I, I mean, the, the people who are running these frauds and these scams, they're all about themselves anyway.
1: Yeah. No. When, when the gangsters are looking at twenty years, like they they roll over on each other left and right.
0: Oh yeah, they they squeal like a pig. I mean, we Rudy Giuliani for all of the, all of his you know the, the, his last decade has been quite a quite an interesting decade for him. But the years before that, when he was a U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, that's how he made himself famous. He was able to round these gangsters up and flip them. Mm-hmm. You know, in the oath of the cosa nostra, this thing of ours, it's right. It's the omerita, the 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 oath of secrecy. We did not. We deny it even exists. And now you got people sitting in front of judges and in front of Congress. Not only is the mafia real, I'm in it, and here's my list of associates and all the bad things I did with them. <laughs> right, like,
1: um, oh man, um, yeah, what a racket, though. Uh, to you know that people are investing in Cardone just because of the illusion that he's rich and successful. Like, and, and you know, success, you know, is intoxicating and it's people admire it. And I, 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 you know, I get that, but I also think it kind of, it, it kind of matters how you get it. And it, it just, I don't know, it just, it just, it just kills me that like if you were so successful and so good at this and making so much money at it, why are you teaching seminars? You know,
0: yeah. Are you selfish? well? And, well, and, and one of the things I find interesting too, something to think about, sort of a thought experiment. Let's assume that there's a conviction at some point. Um, as part of the pre-sentencing process, even if it's not a, a crime of violence, as part of the pre-sentence report gathering, most of the time the government wants you to go see a mental health specialist, psychiatrist or psychologist to, you know, do they have multiple personality? Do they have dissociative disorder? What are these? What are the mental conditions? that we're working with. Because not only does that affect the sentence, it also can dictate the type of services and resources that these inmates are given when they get to prison, depending on the nature of, of what the diagnosis is. Somebody's diagnosed with bipolar disorder, that's somebody who needs to have uh, their mental health regulated or they pose a violent threat to other inmates, especially if they're in a manic episode. There's are certainly suicidal threats to themselves if they're, when they get to the depressive part of, of the bipolar disorder. He's a Scientologist. They don't believe in psychiatry. They don't believe in psychology. So now they can't force you to participate in that process. It's also interesting too, if you could negotiate a supervised release, but it required you go to therapy and comply with the recommendations of the therapist. He wouldn't, theoretically, he can't take that plea agreement.
1: Well, I have a feeling he'll drop the Scientology. The moment, just like the, all the, all these guys go to prison and become good Christians. And they leave the Bible at the door, you know, as they're walking
0: out. Like. Now, it, it, you know, to that point, you know, last time we met, we talked about Danny Masterson. Danny Masterson refused to undergo the psych this the psychological evaluation as part of his pre-sentencing report because of, because of Scientology. And by no measure is he the level of a Scientologist that Grant Cardone is. Grant Cardone is as high as it gets. He spent all the money there is to spend. There's no higher level in Scientology than Grant Cardone danny masterson may not have even made it to the ot levels which is sort of the confidential parts of um scientology he may just be a general sort of kind of in kind of out scientologist and he wasn't willing to undergo the psych Al, hmm. which which very much could adversely affect his sentence from his perspective
1: i was gonna say on so on my pre-trial well, pre-trial on my you know, after you do a federal sentence, right? Like nobody gets 20 years and gets let out. They get 20 years and they get five years pro, um, you know, it's pre it's, um, Supervised release. Yeah. Supervised release. Sorry. I, I was, I would typically just tell people federal probation, cause they don't understand supervised release. Then they say, oh, you mean parole? No, not parole, supervised yeah. release. So it's, it's yeah, similar pre- to year.
0: that, but, but, but
1: materially different. Yeah. Right. So it's more like probation. You know, yeah. They just kind of watch you. So, and if you fuck up, you'll go back, but they didn't cut your sentence by a third. So, uh, on mine, I had to go, one of the things that I had to do was I had to go to a, you have to take and pass a course. It's a, um, I forget what it's called. It, it basically, it's a, it's a criminal thinking errors course. It's a course that helps you deal with you know, with your criminal thinking, with criminal thinking errors, you know, you're a, like a, whatever. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a, a psychological course you have to take. So, and you may get a kick out of this. So here's what happened. I go to my first session. So first, what happens is you have to go and you're supposed to go like, I want to say it was twice. So you had to go for twice a week for, it was going to be like 12 weeks. So you go like, you know, whatever you go, Tuesdays and Thursdays for 12 weeks, you finish a little booklet and you're done. But the first thing you have to do is go see a psychiatrist. Now, keep in mind, I'd already been on federal probation. And when the first time I was on federal probation, I ran a scam. I, I I defrauded the banks out of $11.5 million. And then, of course, I went on the run for three years and they caught me. Then I went to prison. Then I got back out. Now I'm on supervised release. So, so I get out and they say, hey, you have to take this course. You were ordered to take this psychological course. Okay. And so I go to, so, but the first thing you have to do is meet with the psychiatrist. So I go and I meet with her and I'm I'm, I'm irritated because first I'm told that I have to go by and meet her to to sign up for the course. That's all I was told. So I, I she gives me the paperwork and I go, do I fill this out, you know, right now? And she goes, yeah. So I fill out the paperwork. No big deal. It's one page. It's like, you could have, you could have emailed me this. And I fill it out and i give it back to her and she's okay and i said okay well so i'll be here tuesday and she goes oh well, wait a minute no, no no she said we have to have a, a session i said no, i'm supposed to fill out the paperwork and she and i said I'm, no i'm supposed to be how long is that going to take she just did be an hour you'll be done in 45 minutes and i was like okay so i sit down and so you know i don't really want to be there so we start talking and talking and we're having a conversation about this about that and she goes you seem agitated i said well if i didn't think i was going to be here i thought I was supposed to take this." this class like I didn't think I was supposed to be here like I'm you know I said I shouldn't even have to pay take the class you know I had already taken the art app program in, in prison twice I mean I didn't pass it but that's not the point the point is is I had taken it twice like I, I don't you know need this and so as we go back and forth she's like well how are you doing I was like oh you know this and that do you have a job I said yeah you know, try to get a job doing this, but they wouldn't let me do this. Try to get a job doing this, but I can't do that. So I start telling her some of the issues I'm having, but I was like, I'm doing fine. I'm living in someone's spare room. I'm, I'm fine. So we're going back and forth back and forth. Finally, we get to a point where she says, well, you know, I said, she said, do you have, you know, criminal thinking at all? Do you? And I said, "Of, of course. She says, well, how often do you think about, you know, committing crime? I go every day, every day. I said, there's a house An empty house next to the house I live in that was probably a block away, that was probably worth about half a million dollars. Because I did live in someone's spare room, but it was a nice house. So I was like, it's vacant. I said every time I drive by it, I think, oh man, nobody like I could pull the, I could go and transfer the deed. Like these people clearly, it's just a vacant house. My the woman I'm renting from said that the people live like they they haven't been to the house in two or three years. I could go and transfer the title. I could change the lock. I could like I could I could easily pull a million, two million dollars on that house. It's like it's like mocking me, and so I'm like laughing about it. I said I think about it all the time, and she just sat there. She's like, okay, she makes a little note, and then she said, so if you continue, you know, have you thought about like what if things don't go well for you? I was like, oh, I'm sure they'll be fine. She goes, well, what if they don't go fine? I said, you mean like in a year from now, I could barely pay my bills. I'm riding the bus to try and get get to work and back. And I said, I'm, 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 you know, days away from being on the street or something. She goes, Yeah. I said, I'm going to commit a massive, massive fraud, and I'm going to leave the United States because that's where I fucked up last time. And I sat there and I I was like, You know, are we done? We done with this? Are we? She goes, Yeah, I think we're good. We're good. I said, Okay. So I leave. I get an email from my uh, the next day. I get an email from my probation officer. She says, Good news. You don't have to take the course on tuesdays and thursdays instead you'll be meeting with the psychiatrist <laughs> once a week for an hour and t- and she said for the duration of your probation or until you show marked improvement have a good day <laughs> Oh my god! Was
0: like, what we-, did I do? we were from one extreme to the other
1: i remember i sent her an email back say how fucked up am i what do you mean? I got to meet with this woman once a week? I think it was once a week. I don't think it was twice a week. I gotta. I, I should probably check. Anyway, I couldn't. I was like, I can't believe this. Uh, and that went on for the first year. Thank God, COVID hit, and I had maybe four meetings with her. And she's like, "Let listen, we're good. It's been a year. You're not improving. No, <laughs> no. I'm just sorry." She said, "She said you're fine. You're good." So she let me go. I was like, "All right, cool."
0: Yeah, there's, there's a time and place in which sarcasm doesn't always land as well as we would perhaps like it to. Uh, I was going to say, those. Can, can you imagine if Grant Cardone has
1: to like, because that a lot of guys, they do that, especially con men. They'll make you do like this whole criminal thinking error course that you have to take, and it's like 12 weeks, and you have to pass a little book. You have to pass a little, you have to fill out like your booklet. Yeah. You have to work on doing acts of kindness. And I, and these are the kinds of stories I was telling her. I remember saying I was, I
0: my Shelly's an idiot. I didn't punch him in the face today. I was awfully
1: kind. (laughs) This, this was more like, this was, this one was more like, like she said, look, I need you to start working on doing acts of kindness. I was like, like what? I was like, I'm a nice guy. Like I open the door for old ladies. And I, 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 when I'm at the grocery store, I take the cart all the way back and put it in the, in the little, you know, in the little corral. I said, I. I pick up trash. Like I'm going to, I, you know, if I see garbage or something, I'll pick it up and throw it away. And, you know, and, and she said, yeah, yeah but I, I need you to, you know, she gave me some examples. I was like, all right. I said, I'll work on it. So I was jogging one day, maybe a, a couple of days later, I was jogging and I saw an iPhone on the ground and I leaned over and picked it up and I called the woman I was renting from, I said, "Hey, I guess I found somebody's iPhone. Like this is like a thousand dollar iPhone." And she said, "Well, just hold it, keep it." She said, "They'll they'll eventually call. They'll figure it out. And they'll they'll call." I said, oh, "Okay." So I start jogging all the way back. I'm probably a mile away from where I was living, and I get almost back to my house, and the phone rings, and I answer the phone. And they said, "Did you find an iPhone?" I said, "I found an iPhone. Is this your iPhone?" They said, "Yes." I said, where are you? And she said, oh, I'm at the corner of such and such and such and such. And I said, well, this here's where I am. It's about a mile. I'm about a mile away. And she, I said, okay. I said, well, can you meet me? And she said, oh, well, that would mean I'd have to cross the intersection. And I went and I thought, oh, she must be like old or something. Like she can't, maybe she said, I don't know. I was like, I didn't want to ask. I was like, no, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll go back. I, I jogged all the way back. She was sitting in like I, it wasn't a Land Rover. It was um, what are those things? The uh, the Jeep, uh, the one the military dr- drives. But it was oh, like
0: uh, like like the Hummers.
1: Yeah, it was like an H two though. She oh, was yeah. in an H two. She was in the passenger seat. She I jogged up there and I'm looking around at the intersection. She hops out, walks over. She's got to be 35 years old. She goes, "Oh my god!" She goes, "Oh, thank you." Grabbed the phone, turned around, and walked off. Nothing not, not, lot, it was, it was, I mean, barely given a thank you. And I thought I probably could have sold that iPhone. I could have called a couple people and probably ended up getting it, it, 500 bucks or $200 for it. She could have easily gone across the intersection. I did. She's 35. She's in an H2. She's got somebody driving her. She's perfectly okay. And I, so I told my, I remember I told my, um, I told the psychiatrist that, and I said, yeah, I'm done with that. There'll be
0: no time just I I, from me. I'll tell you that. So, anyway. Well, yeah. You know, one of the things I wanted to, t- to talk about briefly, people t- tend to use the term Ponzi scheme and pyramid scheme interchangeably, but they're actually not, right? So Ponzi, Ponzi sch- scheme and what? Pyramid scheme. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're used interchangeably, but they're actually two different concepts. They're similar, but materially different. So Ponzi, of course, is named after Char- Charles Ponzi, who was an Italian immigrant. We ran him back to Italy. He, uh, he made, he was an entire fraudster his whole life. He actually, uh, we term, we gave the term Ponzi scheme because he was using um, stamps. There was right. people- International you, you know, trading stamps, right? Yeah, yeah. They were using stamps as currency because a stamp is worth a different value in the US than it is overseas. And so he was basically telling people, hey, if you, you know, invest in buying these stamps, I'm sending them to people overseas, but he wasn't. So we a Ponzi scheme is where New uh old investors are paid using new investors' money. Right. right. So you have to have a constant flow of money in order for that to happen. Right. And you also need only a small percentage of your old investors to cash out. And one of the ways they guarantee or they try to guarantee people don't cash out is they give them, they artificially make investment returns, statements. Look, you received 18%. Well, I'm a, everybody's a little bit greedy. Everybody has a little bit of a mean streak and they say, oh, 18%, man, that's free money. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to reinvest what we would call the dividend. I'm going to reinvest the dividend. You keep it and keep investing it. They're hoping that nobody wants their money back, but that we know statistically some people do. Hey, I made my 18%, get my 18% out. I'll leave the the original amount in there to keep growing, but I'm going to take my 18% return. And. Right. They just need a few people, a a small enough people to do that. And then they continue to have new investors buy in. A pyramid scheme is similar to a multi-level marketing, right? Like the, um, sometimes they do it with, with men's dress clothes. Sometimes they do it with, you know, um, weight loss shakes, or they'll do it with, um, some sort of, you know, business course or something. And I sell to three people and i give a percentage of my money to my super to my my manager my manager has six or eight people working for him or her and those six or eight people give their percentage up and then my manager sends a percentage of their revenue to the person above them and ultimately the person to the top makes all the money and does nothing um and you know they for for a while they did it with uh uh it wasn't lululemon but it, it had a similar name it was like women's leggings and stuff it ended up being a terrible product and, you know, people were pay- weren't were getting what they were paying for. Um, and they generally require if I want to sell this product, I have to buy $50,000 worth of product up front. Right. And then it's up to me to sell it. If I can't sell it, I'm stuck with $50,000 worth of product. That's You this. can't sell it. You're just not, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you need to buy more product to incentivize you to sell more. Oh, this new line of product came out that's super popular and everybody wants it. But in order to qualify to sell the super easy to sell stuff, you have to sell so much of the hard to sell stuff, right? right? And these people end up with huge financial investments. And the person at the top's already been paid, because when I bought my fifty thousand dollars worth of material, my the person I answer to, and the person they answer to, and the person they answer to, and the boss at the top all got paid. But I'm stuck with this crap that nobody wants. It's the old the old movie. Um, uh, there was something happiness with Will Smith. Uh, Pursuit, of happiness. Happiness. Pursuit of happiness. Sorry, right. the word happiness was misspelled, right? It was same. So he was selling this old antiquated medical equipment that nobody wanted. And <laughs> he right. was finally able to sell it. Um, you know, similar concept. Well, he got the best value by buying fifty of these units, but nobody wanted them. He got a great value because it was antiquated medical technology. Right. Fortunately, he was able to offload them and, and start his business, but um, he actually ended up I think he started with Deep Witter and ended up opening his own um regulated hedge fund right. investment house. But um you know as in that so that's the difference between a ponzi and a pyramid they're similar but they're different ponzi doesn't require anybody underneath you one person's making all the money right and that was that was bernie madoff um using new money to pay old investors and you're hoping you're gambling on the fact that you will never have withdrawals that exceed your new deposits And so now, what the and so there are people, and they they found this in the the Bernie Madoff situation. People figured out Madoff's thing. They figured out this was a Ponzi scheme. So what they did was he would send a a, a return that said, "You made eighteen percent. Cool. You keep my initial deposit. You give me my eighteen percent." So their risk was zero. After he got caught, and he got caught by actually walking into the FBI and saying, "I'm running a pyramid scheme, but it's out of money." I don't want you to have to hunt for me. Here I am. He turned himself in. The feds never knew it. Right. He surrendered himself because looked at him multiple times. Yeah, the SEC looked at him uh, forever. In fact, back in is as early as the late '90s, early 2000s, a guy who has all kinds of higher education and statistics was trying to reverse engineer his trading scheme. Realized that he had to. He was actually claiming he was trading more. commodity futures than there were commodities on the commodities exchange he was claiming to do more trades than there were shares to be traded i was going
1: to say when um when the state of it was it was it chicago where was
0: ponzi out of chicago i think so yeah or the new york um it was one of the two it was, either, yeah. it was either part of the chicago outfit with capone or he was out of new york well when they
1: when they looked at ponzi they were they said and the the Because, you know, at one point, Ponzi was trying to buy a bank. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think he figured if he could borrow from the federal exchange, he could just keep this thing going. I'm sorry, from the uh, the Fed, he could keep this thing going. But he, at one point, when they were, they came to him, like the city officials or whoever it was, they were like, look, we're not, we don't understand how you're making this work. And he said, well, I can't tell you how I'm making it work because obviously it's like a trade secret. And so... They were like the problem was, if the, all of the international exchange stamps in in that had ever been produced weren't enough to be paying out the returns he was paying out, like yeah. you're paying out more than it has ever been. So there's no way that what you're doing is work, is is real. Yeah, and so um, so I mean it's the it's, same thing. It's kind of like just like same thing. Like it, there's no way that Bernie Madoff could be trading. You know, those commodities with, you'd be trading all the commodities ever, you know, that are even a- available to be traded. And you'd
0: still be short. You'd still need to trade more. Right. Yeah. You'd, you'd still need more options and futures. It's um, so, so that was, uh, you know, it, I, I, I think it is a difference. Um, and and any more of these multi-level marketing and these work from home sort of things, some of them are legit. They're always huge business risks because if the product was that easy to sell, they would just have regular salespeople like car dealers have. Right. If the product yeah. was that easy to move. You just have it in Walmart. Yeah. You just have a storefront. You just, yeah.
1: you don't need, you don't need a, an army pushing, pushing that product. You just put it on the, put it on Amazon. It'll sell itself. It's so, if it's so amazing.
0: Yeah. Um, there are, there are some legitimate ones out there. I, I caution everybody, you know, not all of them are bad. A vast majority of them. Uh, even if they're legitimate businesses. Like what? You that? To, Well, you, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <I mean. laughs> I'd love well, to point one out. Yeah, well, so um, I I may have to Google it. I'm trying to remember. There there, there was a women's legging company. Um, just, I might be able to Is jump there on. a competitive product that's better? Probably. Uh, <laughs> or
1: at let's... least cheaper? Yes, but they don't come to your house. They don't gather all your friends together and bring brownies. You know?
0: Uh, LuLaRoe. L-U-L-A-R-O-E. LuLaRoe. Was the name of that? Uh, and it was a it was a direct sales multi level marketing of women's clothing, and originally the the clothing was legitimate. It was decent decent clothing, but they got so big so fast. The family was making so much money. Like the 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 salespeople were receiving their shipments, and they it smelt of mold and mildew, and the clothes were damp in the bag, and they weren't getting the right orders. But then, hey, I I ordered a large, and you sent me a small. It was impossible to get an exchange. Well, just, just, sell the, just sell the small. Okay, I'll try to sell the small, but that doesn't resolve the fact that I still have a large I have to deliver that I've been right. paid for. I still need the large to satisfy the customer. Even if I could sell the small, I still have this order that I have to satisfy. So cool, I'll sell the small, but I still need the large. Well, the fact is they didn't have them. They weren't making them. They weren't producing them. Or, you know, they were getting them and they were ripping out and they weren't, you know, first wearing. You got to put them on for the first time and blow the seams out. Okay. Now, if assuming you're wearing the size that should relatively fit you, they shouldn't be blowing out putting them on, it, right? So just just a, not a good quality product. Um, and they were investigated, and I forget exactly the outcome, but there were there was some legal involvement both with the feds and uh, both in criminal and, and, and civil capacities in that. And so, sort of as a warning, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying to open your own business and better yourself, but you know, do your homework, and um, you know, the, the financials of the business should be transparent. If I'm, if I'm selling for a company, I should be able to find whoever it is, is in charge to say, let me see the books. Okay? If anybody's guaranteeing you a rate of return, you need to know wh- where's that guarantee is it backed by the federal government? Is it backed by the FDIC? Right. Savings accounts, any money in a, in a, a licensed depository institution, like a bank up to the single depositor limit, which is think like 200 or $250,000. 250,000. Yeah. Yeah. 250,000 per depositor. That money's guaranteed. So even if the bank fails tomorrow, the federal government through the FDIC will come in and write you a check for the amount of money that you lost up to the single depositor limit. So if you have saved a ton of money and you've got a million dollars in cash in a savings account, put it in four savings accounts.
1: Well, I mean, or invest in something like Silicon Valley Bank. If, if you have enough money and you're politically connected enough, they'll still <laughs> give you the money. Even if you have $2 million in it, in it they'll still give it back to you.
0: Yeah. So yeah. And so that's that's the that's the the limit. They guarantee two fifty or below. But there are times in which a bank could fail above, and they may have the assets to reimburse that. Um, back in two thousand nine, I think or two thousand ten, 2010, during the fallout of the subprime housing failure, sixty minutes went, traveled with a bank takeover team, and they were interviewing the head of the FDIC. And I think I assume it's still true today, although the data is a little bit old. Since the inception of the FDIC and in federally insured deposits, there has never been a nickel of 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 uh, insured money lost. Every nickel of money that was insured has been honored. There's never been a failure of the FDIC system, and even in eras of even in times of, of distressed finances of banks, like we saw in 2008 to 2010, 11, even if even when lots of banks were failing, and even when the FDIC was stressed financially for cash it can borrow from treasury it's backed by the full faith and credit of the united states the fdic can't go broke the money is insured every nickel of it to the deposit limit you,
1: you know it's funny you remember the tarp funds yeah that everybody was saying oh that's it the tarp funds will it'll bankrupt the country it'll never get paid back it was you know that like nine almost like 90 some odd percent of those funds were actually paid
0: back oh yeah almost uh, with interest the federal government made money on that
1: yeah. So, you know, everybody was, oh, it's horrible. Don't do it. It worked. Yeah. You know, they were saying, oh, we'll never get that money back. No, you did get the money back.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, you you, 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 we, as the taxpayers didn't necessarily, didn't necessarily see it in our wallets, but we saw it in the, 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 the debt ratio and some other things at treasury. I was going to say,
1: you saw it in the correction of the economy. Yeah. You know, yeah. As a, what, what would have happened.
0: Yeah, the 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 country is everything is so intertwined. I mean, when you look at large, uh, either union retirements or like the New York City firefighters retirement fund, that has billions of dollars and except thousands of firefighters. Right, they can't afford for that to fail. The bank, the firefighting community can't afford to not have a retirement plan. Right. So right, and so uh, when Congress passed TARP, uh, and then they, you know, the toxic, which was toxic asset relief program. Um, we're going to buy some of these bad assets, but you're going to borrow. We're going to lend you the money so we can buy them from you. Right. And then you're going to pay us back with interest. Oh, and you think your bank is so stable. You don't need to borrow from us right now. If you have to call us later, we're going to charge you 20% interest. So take it at two and a half percent, even if you don't need it, just pay us back. And what that did that created by even the big banks who were financially stable, it created consumer confidence in the markets and it stabilized the markets. When the markets are stable, the financial system is stable. When the markets are unstable, the financial system is unstable. And that's why I don't love it when people tie economic health to how well the stock market is doing. The stock market could be set in records, but you may not have a wage that's keeping up with it. You may not have a cost of living adjustment that's keeping up with inflation for whatever reason. And so the When the stock market does well, the economy tends to do well, but they don't directly map. There's also times where people are more financially secure when Wall Street's sort of in a panic because they're not borrowing. People aren't borrowing money. They're trying to put themselves in a financially secure position. So if there is a hiccup in the markets, my ability to pay my bills isn't adversely affected. So it's sort of a a give and take, and it's sort of beyond my economic understanding. I'm not an economist. I've studied enough to know that I invest in regulated uh, products with a licensed investment manager. That's what I do. That's how I manage my money. I have a licensed investment person who helps me decide what types of products I should invest in based on what I want my my uh, investment goals to be. I don't have the luxury of being a private venture capitalist. you don't, I don't have in. that. You're not a member of the Cardone team? No, I'm, I'm not. You know, people aren't paying me $14,000 for a front row seat for a lemonade stand business advice, unfortunately. So disappointing. You're going to regret that. I know. All right. I, yeah. Think about how much I could have made if I'd have just joined the $700 a month club.
1: Um, I'm wondering if, t- oh boy, I would love to, I, I, if, if, you, not that I want anybody to get in, well, if, if you're doing, if you're not doing the right thing, yeah, I do want you to get indicted. So if Cardone gets that, listen, he's such a jerk off. Um, if he does get indicted, you know, we definitely have to do another video.
0: Oh yeah, if he gets indicted and he goes to trial, the jury's gonna hate hate. Just just the, I can't stand him, and I'm not a juror. Right. And and I've tried enough jury trials that I sort of understand how the general populace thinks. And there are some outliers to this. Nobody likes a jerk. Yeah. It's one thing to be arrogant, and you know somebody said one time, it ain't bragging if you can back it up. The problem is he's not backing it up. Right. If you're going to make the claims, you better be able to back them up. And if you make a claim, you can't back up. The legal term for that is fraud. I
1: think it was Kid Rock that said, "You know, it's not. It was not. You're not. Well, you're not. It's not cocky if you can back it up." Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I ain't lying if I done it, right? Right. The problem is he ain't done it.
1: Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to go over? I think that's it, man. Had a good time. I, all right. <laughs> this is a good one. I like it. Well, our, I mean, our last video, let's see what, you know, where are we at? It's like 12,000. Listen, for my channel, that's not bad. Might be more now. I think it's still going. It was only four days ago. It's pretty good, right? I think like, so. I'm looking at my, uh, uh-oh. Ha-ha. Uh-huh. Um,
0: I'm looking at my, uh. Yeah. I'm showing 13,000 on my end and I don't have the admin end of it, but I showed 13,000. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't
1: need, I, I just saw something here for Colby. One of my videos that I told him, I knew it was going to get limited monetization because this guy, he kept saying the different, different names of different drugs, you know, this drug and that drug and this drug and that. Uh-huh. Drug. And, it, and it was like, and we, we put it up and Colby's like, Hey, it went up. It's fine. I was like, huh, that's, That's crazy. Like, I really never thought it would. Like, I had to do the intro on it. I did the intro myself. I had to bleep for, in order for me to get the intro to not be limited monetization, I had to bleep out every single word. Every word. That was, you know, he talks about, you know, some guy got shot. Beep. You know. They had, yeah, the one guy had a pistol, so so the guy's inside, and he had a gun, beep, beep, I had to beep out, like, I went through, and I kept uploading it, I would beep out several things, upload it, beep out several things, upload it, till finally I beep, I beeped out every single curse word, or any word to do with weapons or shots, yeah. beeped them all out, and finally it passed. So we put it up, and it was green, we're like, he was like, oh okay, yeah, it's good, and I was like, and sure enough, I just looked, looked it just changed the limit, sometimes it takes a few days for the algorithm to, yeah. So we're going to have to go, he, we got to go through and bleep out some more words. You got to figure this out because it's a good video. I yeah. want a full monetization. Well, sure. Not, I mean, I love doing this, but I'm not, but it's, it's I have to, I, it's got to be, it's got to pay my bills. Yeah. It's not a hobby. It's an occupation. No, I need this to do this in a full-time gig. Yeah. All right. So your channel, you said your channel got did did well
0: after our last video? it, it... it did. Yeah, it did. In fact, um just uh, since since we jumped on, I've had 20 new viewers. Nice. 20 new 20 new subs just and we're not even live. So, I've had 20 new viewers or 20, 20 new subs and I had a bunch of comments folks coming over from, "Hey, you know, I found my way here after after watching you with with Matt." So, Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I, I enjoy it. I, I, I've, I've practiced enough laws. I have a pretty good perspective on a lot of things. Um, and I, you know, I try to, and I try to be honest to say, you know, I don't know enough about that to have an opinion. And I've told some folks, I've turned down a couple of podcasts just because they asked me to talk about something. I didn't have enough confidence to feel like I was adding anything to the, to the conversation. Right. Okay. Going on just for the sake of going on isn't always the right thing. You need to be, I need to make sure that whatever I'm doing is adding value to whatever this person's, you know, mission or mission is.
1: Hey, I appreciate you guys uh, watching and make sure to go over to Zach's channel and subscribe to his channel. Uh, We'll leave a link in the description. It's your lawyer friend, Zach is the name of his channel. So go over there and Check out his videos, hit the subscribe button. Also, if you like the video that we just did, share the video, subscribe to the channel, hit the bell so you get notified, leave a comment. And I really appreciate you guys uh, checking out the channel. See ya. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I'm gonna be interviewing Mike Winnett. Mike Winnett is an entrepreneur, and he had a YouTube channel, which we're gonna talk about, uh, called uh, Entrepreneurs and super interesting story. So check it out. So, you're English.
2: You can tell by my complexion, right? I
1: think, well, I and yeah, the accent, and I I know you. I mean, we've spoken before. We we spoke what, like like two years ago, I think, like a year and a half yeah. years ago. And when you were starting the whole um, the entrepreneur YouTube channel, yeah, uh, yeah, about, the glory days, yeah, the <laughs> the fake gurus and the whole thing, and I was going to be kind of like a kind of like a fraud con man expert that kind of popped.
2: yeah so originally we were going to talk about um walking and talking through how the fraud works and how some of these scams work and yeah but things happen with that channel which caused me a lot of grief because obviously people that make a lot of money through frauds and scams often don't like people exposing and no. talking about the tactics they yeah. use so it caused me a lot of grief both professionally and personally really so That's why the channel, I took a a year break. I didn't upload anything for over a year, let it all die down a little bit. And I only started um, uploading again six weeks ago. So, for the first time in over 12 months, I started uploading again. So,
1: okay. Are you kind of dialing it back a little bit? I yeah, mean, you, were actually, you were actually going to like you were going to the seminars and really doing like a, almost like an expose type thing.
2: Yeah. So re- what I actually did was so I was lucky enough that um, I had a real business and I scaled that business and sold it for 11 million dollars in 2017.
1: Right. And... That... Well, let's let's jump back for a second. I'm sorry. So you were born in England, raised in England, educated in England. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. Then... Well, well,
2: actually, I was born in Germany. My dad's a soldier, so my dad was posted overseas. So I was born in Germany, and then I went did my schooling in England, essentially. And then um, as I got older, I got into sort of sales. I went to university, did a degree in criminology, did a degree in criminology, then got out. And then when I realized what you actually get paid for studying for four years and what the job they want you to do, it didn't really tally up. So I ended up like most people where I'm from working in a call center and then doing telesales. sales um, Most people do that where we're from. It's quite a, there's lots of call centers around here. And that was the first time I'd ever um, got paid to turn up to work. So I used to get a basic salary, but then I'd also get paid if I was actually good at my job. So I'd get paid commission and it kind of blew my mind that I'm getting paid twice here. So I, I did quite well um, through sales. And then I always felt like I could have my own business. So I left, uh, my job and then started working in startup businesses. And I I worked in two startups for six and a half years. and But with the sole intentions, just to learn the skills about business that one day I'd feel confident and comfortable enough to set up my own business. I was age 29. I quit my job. I was on 70,000 UK pounds, maybe a, close to maybe $100,000 a year job. Um, and I had a baby on the way but I felt confident enough to start my own business. So I quit my job just one morning, came home, <clears throat> and I told my wife at the time uh, that we were, I'd quit and she said, what are you going to do now? And I said, I don't know, but I've got six weeks to work it out because my company paid me garden leave. They call it here where you can't work for anybody else, but they pay you to make sure you don't steal data or customers or anything like that. And in those six weeks, I wrote down um, 10 million pounds. It was was my target, 10 million pounds in three years. And I wrote a business plan, backward plan, the business, um, and then just executed that plan. And two and a half years later, I got offered 8 million pounds, which is 11 million, it's 11.1 million dollars, and sold my business to an American company. Actually, the the cruel twist in all of this. That company that I started was resold again just last week for one billion US dollars. So the company, did I sell it too early? Yes, I did. To, well, so, maybe you know, maybe, yeah. but you never know. Um, you never know what. And that's what, what happened. So when I sold when I sold my business, it was a it was really good terms for me. They basically wanted me from the day they inquired to when they um, give me the money was thirty two days, and they wanted me to leave the business that day. So they wanted me to pick, pack up myself and go. Um, but they also put something in that contract, which was I couldn't do the same thing or in that same industry for two years to protect their investment.
1: Right, a non-compete.
2: Yeah. So what happened was
1: I What was the struggled. business? Do, do you mind me asking? Or? Yeah, so it was
2: called Learning Heroes, which has been renamed to Litmus Heroes, which was then bought by SAP. They're like one of the biggest education companies in Europe now, probably the world. But... Essentially, it was online training content for big corporate clients. We actually had some American clients. Um, Arby's was one of our clients. So, you know, the fast food restaurants? Yeah, yeah. So they would use some of our training content. So how to meet and greet people at the till, how to upsize an order from regular to large. So they would watch my videos and content and use that to train their staff. So we did that, but we did that for lots of corporate companies in the UK mainly, an Australia, English-speaking world. But why we were unique was back in those days, all our competitors tried to tie companies into long contracts, price per head, price per course. And we just basically came along and said, it's $500 a month. It's for unlimited users in your business. And it hadn't been done like that before. We used to create new content every week. And uh, we grew to 340 customers paying us $500 a month. And we then sold the business. My plan was to just get in, get out really quickly. I had no interest in that sector. I didn't have a passion for it. I didn't even enjoy it. I didn't want to be known as the e-learning boy. I literally wanted to earn a lump sum of money so I could then invest in stuff that I was interested in, stocks, shares, properties. And I thought that would give me the best vehicle. So I created an industry I had no knowledge of. Um, a business in an industry I had no knowledge of, no passion, no experience. It just suited the model that I look for, which is, can you be disruptive? Can it be subscription-based? Can you provide a real alternative? Can you get in, get out? Can you, you know, blow your competitors away? Could you cause enough problems to people that they might want to purchase your business to stop you damaging their yeah. business? And that was what I did. So, so you... I'm one of the lucky ones.
1: Yeah. Right, I, I can see that. So, but from there, you kind of you. How did you take the leap from transitioning from saying, "Hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a nice chunk of money. I want to reinvest that," but I'm also stuck where I can't compete with this company. And instead, you turned around and you went, "Like to me, it's just completely. Well, it's it's still education based."
2: Yeah, it was just accident, really. So what happened was, like, I'm a working class kid. Like not many of my friends would go and do the same thing that I did. Not anybody. many people that went to my school would do what I'd just done in business. And I mistakenly believed that there would be experts online that could help somebody that wasn't very savvy with investing. Right. So I would search for people online to say, you know, should I invest in crypto? Should I invest in um, whatever it might be? Stocks and shares. Should I invest in property? And bearing in mind I did all this stuff with my business with no social media. I'd never had social media at all before this point. I owned I was only on LinkedIn, so I did it without building a brand or being known. Um, I just worked I just was on LinkedIn. So and then I discovered that on Instagram and on YouTube and on Google the world is full of 23-year-old Lambo driving experts in business that could promise me more wealth than I'd ever seen before. In 60 days, 90 days, if only I would buy their course. Mm. And do you know what it was? I just found it fascinating. I thought, wow. I thought I was smart by setting up a business and selling it two and a half years later from 11 million dollars. But if I'd only just done Chad's course, I could have been working four hours a week from the beach. Right. I I've been an idiot here, actually working hard, employing people, paying loads of tax, and grafting for six days a week for two and a half years. So. It was curiosity that got the better of me. And I just thought I've got a little lump sum of money here. I wonder how many people out there are hoping that Chad, the 24 year old Lambo driver is telling the truth and would drop uh, money on a credit card to buy his course. And I thought, so I'd do a little bit of research on these people. And essentially I found two camps of people. Number one, those that said everything's a scam. Everything's fake. Don't trust these gurus. But then there was other people that were saying, this is the best thing. It's changed their life and uh, they've become millionaires. Obviously, most of those people saying that are probably selling you the same shit or a part of the scam. Right. So I
1: just thought there doesn't seem to be anybody or, out there. Or maybe they were going to be successful in the scam, and taking that course, didn't, didn't do anything for them. Exactly. Like, they were because going to be successful no matter what they were doing.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Because the, the stats will say if there's a thousand people in a room all paying to be there, and one in 500 people go on to become millionaires, two people in that room might go on to be millionaires in the next few years, right? It doesn't necessarily mean it's that guru's course that's done that. They had it in them already. The, the scary stat is 499 people have took that course and failed. And in any other industry, if you had a product with a success rate of 0.2% or whatever the stats are, it would probably get pulled from shelves and be told it wasn't right for consumption or it shouldn't be used. But weirdly. Not in the me. wealth. Yeah, but but right. exactly. Um, but weirdly, in the wealth creation space, there's enough gray areas and it's not regulated enough that people can make wild claims and put out a subpar product um, and they can get away with it. So I just ring fenced five hundred thousand dollars and I thought I'm going to click on every advert I see buy that person's course do the course and reveal what my actual results were from actually doing their course. So while they're saying you can earn six figures in 90 days, I will do it and then reveal that I only earned $200 or $300. And I was someone that actually knew how to run a business. So if I can't achieve these things, having actually grown and scaled a real business, right? what what hope has somebody that's a stay at home mom, that's never had to deal with business before, what hope has she got of becoming a dropshipping guru? Uh, sorry, drop shipping or affiliate marketing or a crypto um, trader Slipping or Forex Slipping trader.
1: Houses. I saw the one you did on flipping house where you bought some houses. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it's great. You know, when they're talking about the numbers, when you're in the course, everyone's going to become a property millionaire. But the actual reality is there's so many hidden costs, there's so many things that they don't tell you about. There's legal things, tax implications. So don't be fooled by these. You can earn 10 grand a month from property by putting no money down, you need to put money down. Uh, you need to pay that money back to wherever you've got it from. Then, you know, there's lots of liabilities and stuff. So I just did it because it, it interested me. I thought it might help somebody. And I kind of found it funny if I'm honest. Right, That people were
1: falling for it or
2: both really, because sometimes I thought like, this is so ridiculous. How are people still spending money with these guys? Um, And then I started to break down their actual process and go into how they sell things and how do they establish authority and credibility. And even that, then I started to unpick. So an example was most of these gurus are best-selling authors because it gives you a certain level of credibility, right? Right. But then I worked out exactly how they achieve that thing. And instead of just doing a video to explain, so this is how you can fake credibility and become a best-selling author, I thought I would uh, make a mockery of it. And I produced a book that just said blank page on 144 blank pages. I uploaded it to, uh, Amazon in the business section. And I got that book to number one on Amazon within 24 hours. So I'm an Amazon best-selling author with a book, um, that was top of the charts. It was pushed by Amazon as the hot new release of the day. It was used as the actual image for the business section, and it didn't have any words in it said blank page. It took me one day. So, but then I would make a video on that to show people listen, don't be impressed by a best selling author if they promise you riches and wealth. I can do it with a blank book in 24 hours. So, is it really as hard as you think it is? And that's what I started to do every week. I would just find something funny from the world of gurus, um, experts, and um, sort of the wealth creation industry. And I'd, I'd kind of expose it, but I thought I did it in an amusing way. Yeah, I thought Now, it ruffled a few feathers.
1: Right, right. Because
2: now all of a sudden, people were getting annoyed because they were saying, well, you know, why are you saying that's a scam? You're saying everything's a scam. Well, I'm not saying everything's a scam. I just don't think that your course is going to make, how many millionaires has your course really made? Show me the stats. Um, But the interesting thing, by the way, and I talk about this quite a lot, what's weird about business and making money and creating wealth people's sort of, I don't know what you call it, like logic or their thought process suddenly shift. But if you replace business or entrepreneurship or dropshipping or affiliate marketing or crypto, whatever the thing is that they're selling, if you replace it with sports and then think of the exact same advert with the same logic and language, but apply it to sports. So imagine there was an advert that showed up on YouTube now that said, win the PGA tour in 90 days, whether you've never Uh, picked up a golf club or hit a golf ball. Now we would all see that advert and it's, it's $1,997 and it's by a guy that you'd never heard of before.
1: Yeah. And it's it's, It's not, and it's obvious. It's obvious. You, you would
2: immediately say, so you would sit there like, what the fuck? How does that work? But then as soon as you replace that with earn um, six figure salary in 90 days in drop shipping, even if you don't know how to work a computer, people click that advert and they will spend that money with it. But being in business and being in entrepreneurship is like an elite level sport. You've got to have done your reps. You've got to have worked in business before. You've got to understand some basic fundamentals. You know, I started my business after working in startups for six years. It took me six years of learning for me to even think I had a chance of being successful and earning six figures. I don't understand why people think they could do Chad's course in 48 hours and become a millionaire. but, but weirdly, it, millions of people buy this thing.
1: It sounds good, you know and, and people do know like it, it's funny because I used to teach a real estate class, right like in prison, but I and I, I was you know I, you know I was in prison for mortgage fraud uh, and ba- related to real estate. so I ended up teaching the real estate course for 10 years, and everybody in there wanted to flip houses. They all buy and sell houses, buy them cheap, fix them up and sell them. And I would go in and I would tell when I taught that and I went over, maybe took a couple of days and went over that couple of different uh, classes. And I would go in and I would explain, listen, one time I bought a house, not one time, shoot, this is over and over again. I bought a house for $50,000. I put $20,000 in it. I sold it for $100,000. How much money did I make? And I said that's a true statement. I really did that. Like I did that all the time. But you know, I'm saying that that's exactly everything I just said is true. And they go, "Man, you you made thirty thousand dollars." Said, "No, I didn't." What I didn't tell you was how much the closing costs were. That I had to help the guy with his down payment. That I had to pay the closing costs for the borrower. That I had, you know, what I'm saying you start adding all that up, and the next thing you know, you didn't make nearly what. And and I had to pay all of the the carrying costs for the loan that I bought. I had to pay the points. I had to pay that. So you start adding it up and it's like, you didn't make 30, you made 19,000 and it took four months, you know, and it was it was agony. And I was going out to the property over and over again. You don't talk about how the kids knocked the little kids in the neighborhood through rocks through the windows or you got three air conditioning stolen and a guy fell off your the roof and you're still waiting for him to sue you. Um, yeah. So, you know, it always, like you said, it always sounds good. Like, yeah, I can. Because that's the headline
2: you- thing. Because imagine you did an advert. Imagine that was your advert for your property course, by the way. How to potentially earn $19,000 after four months being sued. <laughs> um, right. Like you're probably yeah, not going to get that. many clicks on your advert, but that's the reality. And that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to provide some sort of realism and balance to a lot of these grand claims by, ironically, the difference is you'd bought and sold houses there, right? Yeah. But a lot of these people that sell property courses, especially in the UK, don't actually make their money through buying and selling houses. They make their money through selling courses on how you can buy and sell houses. They don't right. even do the thing that they're now trying to teach you and tell you how much money you can make. Now, I, from a, a logical business point of view, if I had a property course based in Manchester, in the north of England, if I made $100,000 or £100,000 a month through so investing in below market value properties. And that's how I made my money. I wouldn't spend my weekend teaching people how to compete with me in my own hometown right. for $37. The numbers don't stack up. You're turning your customers into competitors. So, just from a business point of view, most of these people telling you how to do the thing, they're only selling you the course because the real money has stopped. They can't you can't make money like they're claiming nowadays because if they could, they'd be doing that full time.
0: He built some of the nation's largest banks out of an estimated fifty five million dollars because 50 million wasn't enough and 60 million seemed excessive. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't
1: typically commit crimes, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends.
0: Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. Uh,
2: But everyone wants to escape the rat race and anybody telling you a shortcut to escape that and a shortcut to riches will always do well. But the irony being, if we look at anybody in life that's successful, and I mean like truly successful, and it could be business, gym, music, whatever it might be, The Rock. Do you really think The Rock is on YouTube looking for videos on how to build the perfect chest in the next 30 days? Or do you think the rocks at the gym building the perfect chest, right? And it's taken him years. When you see people in business, I've never, ever met Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, um, Steve Jobs, RIP, but I'd never met any of these people at any of these events. I'd never met any truly world, well, world-renowned guru tell me that the secret to their success was just working four hours from the beach from their laptop. Yeah, but all these courses—that's what they or, all say.
1: Or that I took i, I, I made i am making millions right now. How'd you do it? I took Grant Cardone's course. Yeah, no one. The only
2: people that say that they took Grant Cardone's course and make money are people that, ironically, are affiliate sellers for Grant Cardone's course. Right. <laughs> and and so say Grant Cardone as the example. I was offered a testimonial from Grant Cardone for my fake business that I made up for a fake product that didn't exist for $25,000. I was approached by one of his affiliates that said, uh, we'd love to, to give you a testimonial from Grant to say that we've used your services, it's brilliant. Oh, it didn't exist.
1: didn't exist.
2: He just wanted 25 grand and he'd say whatever he wanted.
1: Right, right. And this you is
2: what... these are the kind of videos I was making and th- it was weird actually, it was one of the 10X community that threatened to cave my head in with a rock and he was gonna come to my hometown. Um, and they call him like uncle G uncle Grant. mad. it's, it's, it's very religious, you know, the whole setup, um, and it's entrenched in Scientology and stuff like that. It's, it's quite an in, once you start looking at what's behind it, it's quite murky, it's quite dark, it's quite interesting, but also it's a lot of hassle and for a guy that's an actual business guy. And I don't really, I wasn't a YouTuber. It kind of brought a lot of hassle that didn't marry up to me. Like I can deal with hassle if it brings in money. Yeah. I was just doing it to sort of educate people, make a few people laugh and potentially stop people spending money on rubbish. And um, so when I started getting the death threats and the um, someone posted my kid's school online, the address and all that stuff, it mm-hmm. just got a bit too much for me, really, and started so, to affect me a little bit.
1: So you, how long you, you put up the YouTube channel? It's still up, right? Yeah. And I've had the- to
2: remove quite a lot of videos. I've, I'm probably down maybe. 12, 13 videos that have gone. Um, Annoyingly, some of them I would say are my better videos.
1: Um, And you took them down or YouTube took them down?
2: A combination of both. Some were enforced by YouTube and others were, if they stayed up, I'd receive legal letters from lawyers and solicitors in the UK saying that if they weren't removed, I'd have to pay certain things out. Annoyingly, a lot of the legal action is to scare you more than anything. A lot of it can't stand up, but it's just
1: hassle. And the yeah, problem you're, is when you're you have a lawyer, you have exactly. to a lawyer. You got to go get a lawyer to, to Yeah. Pay. So I actually
2: won, I won a couple of these cases against them, but it still cost me like four and a half thousand pounds, $6,000 to win a case. Right. And so you can imagine if you've got a YouTube video that might make 300, $400 in ad revenue, but it's cost you $6,000 for it to be up. That's not a good business model. So Uh, I just removed some videos because of the hassle. And then also because of the global pandemic, I had to focus more on my actual real businesses um, that I do in real life because my real life is my real life. YouTube's just, it's not a thing for me really. I I exist off YouTube quite happily, Where there's a lot, because I'm a business person that's on YouTube rather than I'm a YouTuber trying to create a business on YouTube, which a lot of people do. So um, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. It's just, I've always preferred my real life business thing
1: right um yeah no I, I i actually make most of my money you know selling paintings and you know optioning yeah i've
2: seen some of your stuff that you do
1: yeah so did I mean, you
2: learn that when you were in prison did you get into the painting when you're in prison or did you do that before
1: no no i um i have a degree in in fine arts so my my degrees in fine arts i've always painted i just you know i, I didn't think i could make any money at it when i yeah. graduated college so you know, I, I went, I got the degree and I knew I wasn't going to be able to support myself as a as an artist. So I started doing other things and eventually I ended up owning a mortgage company and committed some fraud and then it just spiraled out of control. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. It's but, easy and- to do, you know. You know, so when we talk about the entrepreneur
2: stuff, I think sometimes I don't think, I mean, there's some people their intention is bad from the off, like they're doing it because it's a quick vehicle to quick cash. But I think sometimes... They genuinely believe what they're doing is a victimless thing. And well, if it doesn't work, it's because they've not implemented the training properly. And there's so many get outs. That sometimes they might be the victim of it themselves. They have bought into that lifestyle so much because they've normally learned from their own mentor or their own guru. They have paid someone that's taught them all these things Yeah. that I think they don't necessarily realize how bad it is. Because I bet you didn't set up a mortgage company with the intentions of committing mortgage fraud when you started, or did you?
1: No, no. But then slowly creeps up on me.
2: Yeah, and so I think that's what I've learned. And this is the sometimes there's a misconception that I hate all entrepreneurs. Or sometimes I think you've got to admire their business ability, how they market themselves, how they grow, whatever. They do a lot of bad things, but there's also some good things you can learn from them. You just need to apply it to some of the lessons you can learn from even the worst entrepreneurs. Actually, there's some value there. You can almost learn the internet's made people black and white, right? It's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's Brexit. Is it leave or stay? You know, it's, it's very much like that where it's real life's a lot more nuanced and, you know, bad people do good things sometimes. Good people do bad things sometimes. It doesn't mean that you are those things forever. And that's the one thing or one problem I've got with my channel. I think sometimes people think everything that is a scam that's like this, but you know what? There's some great courses online. You can learn skills online. You there are some great business people that are mentoring people out there. Not everything is a scam. Right. However, your audience sometimes can't see that. Like I get asked about Gary Vaynerchuk quite a lot because I ended up meeting the guy and ended up going to his office. And people say like, do you like Gary V or do you hate him? And My real answer is neither. Do you think Gary V is a good guy or a bad guy? Well, he's kind of both. Like, aren't we all, you know? Right, And it's it's an interesting thing, I think, how the internet, I don't know if it's the internet, but people don't seem to be able to uh, think critically or realize that people can be two very different things at the same time sometimes. So it's a, even my audience eventually towards the end, I was getting a bit frustrated with them as well as the gurus that were um, exactly. giving me shit, which is a mad thing to say, isn't it? About the audience that you've built.
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I get people that, leave horrible comments you know in the comment section of my videos almost every video it's like you're watching though like you're watching and this guy like there's a couple guys they really watch the videos but you have like professional you know trolls or haters or whatever and it's 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 odd but you know this is the thing just like you're saying um you know i i was on uh concrete is a podcast that's around here a friend of mine danny runs it and i was like yeah, it's concrete. a big big podcast isn't it yeah i think he's that has like have that. a few million views right uh n- well he's got he's got like half a million subscribers yeah um but he's got videos that have you know five ten million views yeah Don't uh, so anyway we were talking one time and he said i said something about oh i can't go oh yeah yeah i can't go i said i gotta i'm going to church you know tomorrow and he was like "Church." And I was like, yeah. And he's kind of, you know, mocked me a little bit. And I went, I said, well, wait a second. I don't have to believe to go to church. I don't have to believe every single thing that they're saying, you know what I'm saying? Or the entire belief system of the entire religion. Like what did Jesus Christ die on the cross? I mean, I don't know. It says in the book, maybe, you know, um, you know, there's all these things, you know, was, you know the universe created in seven six days or we you know whatever look i don't know what i know is i go and this guy that is, i'm listening to some of the stuff that he says i like some of mm-hmm. it i disagree with i take what i want i walk out the door i feel okay about it i'm good but you're right there are people that it is oh you went to church Oh, you don't believe in abortion. Oh, you're a horrible person. Oh, you want to keep women down? Oh, you it's like, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? Like, they just go nuts over. It's like, bro, I just said I'd go to church with my girlfriend. Like, I, you know, people get crazy. They're really so polarized at this point.
2: Yeah, but I think, I mean, I think we are. But I also think that, obviously, social media is deliberately set up for that because the, the more angry we are, the more we comment, the more time we spend on it. Um, and the
1: more yeah. it focuses on you, like I turn on, if I turn on, you know, TikTok, like all I get is stuff that mm-hmm. just is like, you know, it's very divisive, de- de- uh, de- uh, divisive, divisive. Everything yeah. I get, I never get anything from the other side at this point, unless it's yeah. backing the other side. It's like it's it's yeah. it's really designed to just separate everybody.
2: Yeah, and um, it it it's such a strange thing. I think this is why, by the way, that um, these entrepreneurs have done so well. I think social media plays a big part. Um, you can laser target people with a message you can target them based on what they search for and then so you can target vulnerable people and I think with society now and it's a bit, bit deep but I've really got into like the science and stuff behind all this it's been quite interesting but I think family and community has kind of eroded sort of the last 50 years like you know you would meet someone in your local town you'd go and work in the local factory and you, you'd sort of like have the same group of friends and you'd all have the same experiences Now, we're seeing almost too much. We know too many things from too many places in the world, and we've meant to have an opinion on things that we would never have known existed 50 years ago. I wouldn't have known 50 years ago what was happening in South America or deforestation, or I wouldn't know these things, or pollution or plastic bottles off the coast of China. I wouldn't have known about global warming, carbon footprints, royal families. I wouldn't have known about politics pedophiles, all these different things we wouldn't know, where now we are being force-fed that from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. So your brain's constantly receiving information. Then you're looking on social media to escape that, and you're seeing a version, filtered version, one moment in someone's life that's not real, just for an in- picture. Right. So you're sat there in your little town, where you're from, age you're 18, 19, you, your mom and dad have split up. You've not really got the community. You've not got a group of friends. There's no clear career path for you. And then you start looking for something online to replace that. It's why gangs do well in inner city areas. You're looking for that sense of belonging, family. Um, and that's why religion does well. Whether you believe in it or not, the sense that you can all have a shared experience and you listen to the same people. And it's why it works because that's what we innately, that's what we want. But what's happened is people like Andrew Tate, people like Grant Cardone, people like Gary V, have become out. that voice to a whole disillusioned um, audience of sort of 16 to 23-year-old lads, essentially, because they think that everybody out there does drive a Lambo, does earn six figures. Anybody working nine to five is an idiot. Um, they should have achieved these things by these ages. And I think that on top of, Drugs, going out, low self-worth. I think it's the perfect melting pot for them to reach out to these false prophets, and you can use both senses of the word. You know, it's false prophets with a an F, and it's a false prophet with a PH. Um, that's what I think it is, and I think that all contributes to why young lads look up to people like Andrew Tate. He's obviously the biggest one at the moment, um, because, and but also he is a direct opposition to. What the woke agenda that's been pushed, right? And I'm not saying either of those things are right, right, but when you create such extreme views on social media, either either way, an equal and opposite reaction has to happen. That's what happens. And that's what that's that's why they do so well. And I think social media's got a huge part to play. Um, and then also the erosion of like family, family values, the family unit, sense of belonging, father figures, all those things. I think they all are interlinked as mad as it sounds which is way deeper than my youtube channel by the way but i'm just saying i get why people are like that now
1: you know what i was i was thinking I, so i know a couple of people that love uh, anthony robbins yeah like it's like a cult they go to every single one of his um that they they they, they uh, one of his um uh whatever you want to call them seminars they've paid the, to be a member of some club they like, like it, they it's like a cult and yeah. yet these are both of these people are deeply troubled. Do not have a lot of money. Do not. And, and I'm sitting there like, you've been following this guy for 10 years.
2: Yeah. Wh- like, when are you going to have your breakthrough? When right. are you going to become your millionaire? You know, when are you going to
1: be start living your best life? It's, it's right. odd, isn't it? But you pay, you buy all his stuff. You, you know, all of his stuff, you're excited. You're in this plan. You've got pictures with him. You've got, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like yeah. they what is your real goal for it? Is it just to be a member of the club? Like, is it? Well, I thought I think for a lot of people, that's what it is. So I've gone to lots of
2: these events now and I see the same faces there. It's like their thing. You know, they get hyped up. They leave there feeling motivated. They don't do anything. Two days later, it's worn off and they're looking for the next one. That's why a lot of these people are multiple victims. They might have bought six or seven different courses or attended six or seven different gurus live event. And none of them have actually paid off because. They've not actually implemented one thing and followed it through. And that's even if you did implement it, the chances of you actually being successful through those methods are low anyway. But that's what I noticed quite a lot. There are multiple victims. I get messages from America all the time because there's a lot of people over there doing that. And I don't say, oh, my grandma spent $21,000 on these gurus in Boston. Can you help us get the money back? But part of me wants to say, well, stop spending money with fucking idiots. Yeah. You know? But you can't, can you? Um, <laughs> but I do think that. Stop handing money to people that you didn't know existed two days ago thinking they're going to save you. They're
1: not going to. Yeah. No, no. Nobody's, yeah. Nobody's Nobody's coming to help you but, you. but
2: also as well, by the way, and you'll probably, well, maybe not, but you'll know in scams quite often the victim is the victim because they think that they're going to gain a competitive edge off somebody else anyway. It's almost like they need to feel like they're getting something you well, know you a know, of- there's,
1: there's a famous, you know, famous quote, which is, you know, you, you can't scam an honest man.
2: Yeah. Well, you say you can't con an honest John is what we say in the UK. Oh, okay. Same thing. Yeah. So- and it is that, isn't it? So like if you're doing like a diamond fraud, you're telling someone these diamonds should be worth $20,000, but you can have them for
1: $4,000. But I got them. The, I, I stole them, or I got a good deal, or I got this, or the guy doesn't know that I took them, and I need to get rid of them real quick. And, yeah, yeah, so
2: they're thinking, shit, I'm getting $20,000 worth of dollars. I'm going to sell these for $10,000. So I'm going to be making 6000 off someone. So like, where a normal, good, honest person would say, there's something not right about this. I don't want anything to do with these diamonds. But then you get the people that do get scammed saying, oh, yeah, I'll take them. Then before you know it, they've bought glass, ball balls, yeah. plastic
0: he built some of the nation's largest banks out of an estimated 55 million dollars because 50 million wasn't enough and 60 million seemed excessive he is the most interesting man in the world
1: I don't typically
0: commit crimes but when
1: I do it's bank fraud stay greedy my friends
0: support the channel join Matthew Cox's patreon
1: yeah, I was thinking. Uh, did, have you ever heard of uh, uh, Victor Lusting, the guy yeah. who he sold the Eiffel Tower twice?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah I do yeah. know this story.
1: Yeah, he. The you know what he what was so funny about it was he gets all the scrap dealers together, and he goes to he pick he finds one of the guys that he feels like he's he's ripe for the pickings. You know, he's a mark. He goes to him and says, "Listen, I I can make sure sh- I like you." I like you better than these other guys. I can make sure you get the bid. You'll get the job. But I need a taste. I need you to help me out. So the guy gives him 50,000 in cash to make sure he gets the bid. So you he can't turn around and go to the police and say I bribed this guy yeah. to get the bid. So that you now you've committed a fraud. So you can't expose yourself that hey, I'm a scumbag and I'm ex- and I got taken by this scumbag. So but it's the same thing. The other thing is, is that it, it's almost like, um, you know, being sexually assaulted for a woman. You know, you ever, you'll notice that some of the some women, if will be sexually assaulted multiple times, and it's like, how did that happen again? Because just like marks, you know, is that you're more susceptible to be preyed upon the the a second time. There's something yeah. about there's something about, you know, your it's intuition and criminals. They know that someone I can take advantage of or they've been taken advantage of before or the person thinks this won't happen to me again. And they put themselves in the same situation again because they think, well, it can't mm-hmm. happen twice. And it's the same thing with Marx. marks will get taken multiple times thinking, well, yeah, I got screwed two years ago, but I won't get screwed this time. That and that's why the out.
2: entrepreneurs work so well, you know. And that's why that's why people that haven't had a result buying Tony Robbins's course at two thousand dollars will then go and spend five thousand dollars to do his more is more in depth mastermind boot camp inner circle thing, and they won't get results from that. But then they think, well, do you know what? If I pay the ten thousand dollars, but it's like, but you've not rece- you've not actually you achieved mean, anything to this back. point. You didn't it's, get it's the two thousand dollars worth. Exactly, but they've like committed to the scam. And what's really, what's a clever part of this of the entrepreneur formula to me is how they make people, um, make a declaration. You know, post publicly, say that you're going to achieve this thing. Because once you put it out there that you're going to Tony Robbins and you're going to change your life and unleash the inner beast and become a millionaire, when it doesn't happen, you won't tell people because you're embarrassed. So you will actually lie about your achievements and results because. You wouldn't want people to say, "Oh well, I told you so." So yeah. the maddest thing about it is, I know people that have paid more money to people they've not had results from, rather than just walk away and think, "I've been burnt here. I'm gonna leave." They would rather carry on spending money and quite quietly keep it to themselves that they've been unsuccessful, because their mum will take, well, the mum will ask them why they did it. The dad will, the brothers, the sisters, the friends, "Why have you spent twenty grand with that guy? You've not achieved anything." oh, well, I have. They feel like they've got to justify it because no one wants to be made an idiot of, right? All right. So it's a really clever thing to make people. Well, um,
1: yeah, the psychology is, is amazing. Yeah, it's, a,
2: it's amazing. Yeah. And you know what the interesting thing is? These tactics work. And there's nothing wrong with selling products using a discount or using scarcity or testimonials or none of these things if they're real. If they're right. real, legit examples of these things and the product that you're selling is actually good, serves a purpose, helps somebody achieve the thing that it claims, and you target the right person that's got a good chance of being successful, yeah. there's nothing wrong with these things. Well, but unfortunately, not- that doesn't happen with most of these people.
1: Right. Well, you know, what I was thinking is, like, like, have you ever been to Disney World?
2: No, I've never been.
1: You've never been to Disney World?
2: I've, I've been to America once. I was there for three days. I had food poisoning, and I saw a dead body.
1: Oh, <laughs> Mike, where'd you go? New
0: York? New
2: York. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I was in New York. I, I I spent three hours out of my hotel room. I was in the hotel room, puking up and shitting myself for two solid days. I had a meeting with Gary V on that way to that meeting with Gary Vaynerchuk in New York. I saw a woman being put into a body bag. Uh, yeah, people taking it, pictures of it. And then and then I was back in my hotel room. So I've literally been out in New York for three hours in my entire life. That's my only experience of America.
1: Now, go to Orlando. You got yeah. go to go to Florida. You go to Orlando. Um, so, anyway, uh, at if you go to well, you've been to a theme park, right? Yeah, yeah. Alton Towers okay, so, in
2: England, we'd call it.
1: Oh, okay. What it? What is it?
2: Alton Towers. People like from around here will know that's the main theme park in the UK.
1: Okay, it's good. So, in, in I don't know what it's like there, but I know that the here's what they do: you go to let's say the Hulk. It's a roller coaster. You go to the Hulk in uh, Islands of Adventure. That's another theme park. And they're all all the theme parks in Orlando are like right next to each other. You could spend a week just going to theme parks. But they're all kind of the same. You get when you first walk into the ride, there's a big room with all the, you know, the 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 walkie things that you walk through. The yeah, you know, so there's a big there's a big room and you're and you can see the door to the ride. So you think, I go through so God, it's pretty big it's a, it, there's a there's a wait you sit there for a minute and you go yeah but I, I it's right there so you wait and you wait 30 minutes yeah and then you're done and when you get through that door you realize it's not the ride it's another room with more of the oh, line. no way but it's smaller it's half the size of the other room and so you think to yourself you know what I've already waited 30 hmm. minutes. This one looks like it's about 10 or 15 minutes. So you wait in that one. Cause I can, the door's right there to the right. So yeah. you wait. And then when you get to that door, you realize there's another line or another room with lines in it, but it's, it's shaped oddly. So it looks short and it's smaller. So you wait, I, I've already waited 45 minutes. This one's about five minutes. So you wait, the you walk the five minutes. Then when you get through there, there's another room with a much bigger room, probably the same size as the original room. But now you can actually see people getting on the ride. Yeah. So you wait. You would have never waited over an hour and 20 minutes had you seen that. But the psychology behind it is they know we can. they'll wait this long but they won't wait that long again unless, you know, they they keep building up the incentive to wait and wait and wait. You're not going to wait for an hour and a half if they told you it was an hour and a half, but you'll wait. Right. So, you know, it's, it's the same thing I think with these guys is like one of the things they do. And I, and I notice this happens uh, a lot with, uh, with, with con men is that there's the psychology that their understanding of their customers or their marks or whatever you want to call them is is phenomenal. It's amazing. I, I've met yeah. some of these guys that literally, they would tell me their pitch and I would sit there and listen to their pitch and I would go, and, I, and I'm in prison with the guy. And I would say, wait a second, you can't guarantee this. He goes, yeah. And if they ask me if I can guarantee it, I say, I can't. Oh, no, I can't. All I'm telling you is that I'm going to sell you these vending machines in this area, but... I can't promise nobody else will sell vending machines in that area. I can promise you that I won't sell that area to somebody else, an area they don't really own the, the rights to. And then they will sign a contract. And then what they do is if the guy waffles, what they say is, is they say, well, listen, there's six areas. These three are taken. Somebody has this one, but these two are still available. And the guy says, well, wait that I don't want that one I want this one I'm sorry that one's already taken this one we got a contract on where well, we sent it out but the guy hasn't signed it yet so that it's the urgency it's the yeah, yeah they are more concerned about losing out on a good deal than protecting their investment yeah and these and they know it and they're some of these guys are brilliant when you listen to them you're like yeah
2: that's, that's that's the biggest thing that I've learned from watching these people for two and a half years, three years, and going to all their events and listening to them. Their actual scripts that they use is pretty much the same. The only thing they change is whatever vehicle it is that's going to get you to this successful point, right? Um, but it's like using NLP, like saying, by now you should think this, by now you should think that. And it's really, really interesting. But I always go back to they're so good at marketing and they're quite clearly um, good at sales and they've obviously got a business mind. Why don't they just put that time and effort into creating something that actually does achieve results for people? But the reason being is not as many people would buy those things. People always want to buy something that's going to make them wealthy, healthy, or happy. So they always go back to that. Is why people buy diet pills rather than I'll just eat less and move more. It's why people buy an app belt to send electrons to their six pack or they download the six minute apps. People will spend money, lots of money, on things that they probably can't even be bothered implementing because they think it's going to help them achieve something. And that's a far easier sell than saying, Imagine if I had a book that said, The 100 Hour Work Week, Your 10 Years to Become a Millionaire Business Person. And then I had a book next to it saying, the four-hour, the four-hour work week. Be a millionaire in twelve months. Which of those two books are going to sell more copies? Yeah, and unfortunately,
1: yeah, they you know, want to be lied to almost.
0: Yeah,
2: lazy. yeah, yeah, and that's why. It, but equally, there are some victims that are that are taking advantage of the job, and it's it's sad, and I feel sorry for them, and it's not been a good thing. But there's others where, when I hear the stories, I think. But why would you believe that? Right. Especially when they're not people that you've already heard of, or, you know, are successful business people that are positioning themselves as successful in business. So if there's somebody that you'd not heard of 48 hours ago is telling you that he's the world's number one wealth coach, be suspicious because if you've never heard of him before, he probably isn't the thing that he's claiming. Yeah. It's um. But yeah, you must have seen it um, with Marx over and over again. Sometimes you just think when they hear the story back to them, you think, why haven't they realized at this point? Or why haven't they questioned that at this point? But I think logic is just kicked off a cliff. And that's why they use urgency, because when you're in a state of uh, panic and you think you're going to miss out on a deal and you think there's only five left to this opportunity and you've got to act now when you need to get the money, it's not until you go home and you sit there and think about it you might get buyer's remorse a week later two weeks later because anything hang on this doesn't feel right or my gut's telling me something's wrong here um it's very interesting but they are they're they're experts in psychology they're experts in marketing they could make a lot of money by having a marketing agency
1: right probably yeah um not probably not as much as they're making selling their own course no
2: but i mean i look at now and if you Google some of the main names, some of the names that I've mentioned in this, they've all got like class action lawsuits going on for uh like a hundred million dollars or four hundred million dollars, and their customers have been burnt and they've all clubbed together to start a legal action against these people. Um, so I think there's a lot of these people that in sort of two, three years' time are probably going to be in prison or paying back a lot of the money. Well, I mean, I don't know how it works, but be paying money back to victims that they've kind of defrauded from people, but but equally as well, by the way, for a lot of these people, um, the they go to like say Jordan Belfort's a great example. He defrauded a lot of people. He went to prison. He came back, and he's still seen as like a a a, a good a success story, right? Yeah. So yeah. even when you do the thing and you come out, the comeback's almost as good as. Yeah. He's
1: super likable. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. kills me is like, to me, Grant Cardone is not likable. No. Like the arrogance. He's so arrogant. He's so over the top and you know, he's almost abusive. Like he's, he mouths off to people. He, he calls people names. He picks at people. And it's like, you know, it, it, it I can't imagine bolt following this guy, but you know, Belfort to me is always very humble, very polite, very nice you know, and and he's doing well. And, you know, so. And then maybe that's the ultimate scam, right?
2: I I I want him to survive.
1: I want him to succeed. Yeah. Even though, you Um, know, I understand he stole a bunch of money, did a bunch of pump and dump schemes, and, you know, I get it. But Um, it's
2: it's strange, isn't it? Sometimes you root for the bad guy, right? And Jordan Belfort's one of them people where you actually think, like, he's kind of like, is it like The Sopranos? I don't know if you ever watch The Sopranos. Of course. But, like. You, you liked Tony Soprano. Yeah. Everyone liked him when what he did wasn't very nice. No, no. He wasn't nice to his wife. He wasn't particularly nice to his kids. He wasn't nice to anybody. anybody. But yeah,
1: he was a likable guy, right? Right. For a prolonged period of time, he wasn't nice to anybody, pro, you know, over the yeah. course of that whole But you show. felt
2: sorry for him. You kind of understood the pressures he had, yeah. you know?
1: <laughs> Maybe
2: um, everyone needs a Goomer. That's the that's the answer, right?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I have a question. Uh, so you're you're starting the channel, kind of. You're not that it stopped, but you stopped posting for about a year. Yeah. And so now you're starting to put up. Are you you're doing new videos, but are you? What's the format now, as opposed? Yeah. So to what I, I what owned. I've started
2: to do now was just. Um, or I I now sign up to people's webinars and I just do their live webinars and I see how many of the entrepreneur scripts that I've sort of put together do they use to sell their products and. It's like bullshit backstories, fake testimonials, um, inflated value price ends in a seven. Cause most of these courses price ends in uh, like $197 or $1,997. They've all, they all claim it's like $30,000 worth of value, but they're selling it for this rock bottom price. It's, is it time limited? So I just, now I have a little bingo cards that I play and I watch their pitch and We kind of just have a little bit of a fun but what we do is i watch them live by the way i don't know if they're going to pass or fail before i start but when we cut away a lot of the boring bits and you you edit it together to show the most extreme and outrageous bits of their pitch there's no way you would buy from these people you would think who the hell is handing these people money because it's quite funny so it's more like a sort of comical way of mocking some of these gurus but in a way where i'm not saying this guy is a con. This guy is right. a scam. It's more like, look at how funny and bad his pitch is, look how rubbish his slide deck is. Look how badly look how crap his testimonials are. And what I've found is weirdly, a lot of the people um and testimonials in these gurus courses are used in multiple people's courses. So I'm seeing right. the same testimonials used elsewhere. It's just like a humorous observation. So It's less investigative, let's expose these people and cause legal problems. It's more, aren't these people a little bit silly? If you're still falling for this now, you're a bit of an idiot. Right. Um, Because also as well, by the way, I I spent $500,000 on shit that didn't work. That's not a sustainable business model. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like my accountant goes mad. You know, my YouTube channel hasn't made $5,000, but I spent $5,000 putting it all together. So...
1: Well, you know. um, okay. Uh, so yeah,
2: I... Mike Winnett is the YouTube channel. If anyone wants to check it out and see some of the videos, see how I got a best-selling book, um, with a blank book, or see, uh, what it was like in Andrew Tate's course, or see what it was like in Grant Cardone's course or Ty Lopez. I've done them all and I've put my findings on there. It's quite funny. How, if you don't often... mind the accent and pasty skin.
1: How often do you, um, upload videos?
2: Um, maybe like three, four times a month uh okay. normally every friday but I w- I, we were gonna upload today but the queens died in the uk right uh the queen died yesterday and f- i don't know if we'll upload today because a lot of people have gone on like a social media blackout you know so uh probably next week we'll be
1: back okay well um listen i, I appreciate you taking the time and i know we missed each other a couple times and yeah, yeah. i finally uh, did it yeah yeah um if you know look if you if you you know if you need any help or or you know want to do an interview on your channel or anything like that i mean or want me to you know look at somebody or review something or whatever i'd be more than happy to because yeah,
2: definitely. i'll have a I'll have a think what we can do and get back to you yeah Cheers let me know you.
1: um listen i appreciate it thank you i you know wish you luck and um i'll i'll look out for your uh for your videos because i mean the few that i've watched like i watched the one on the real estate. I watched the yeah. one where you actually, you had gone to several of these things and I watched the one on Gary V because yeah. I like Gary V yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, yeah. he does say the same things over and over again. I don't really pay attention. Like I've never bought anything from him. I'm not going to buy an NFT from him. I'm not going to, you know, like I know a lot of stuff, it's hype and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not interested in that, but I like the basic thing. He says, you know, be happy follow your passions, you know, I pick, yeah, he's I, the one. Uh, so
2: he was originally going to get my series to Netflix. He was going to give me a Netflix introduction and that never right. happened. But ironically, Netflix eventually got in touch with me themselves. They'd seen my video. I did three hours of talking heads with Netflix and they were coming over to the UK to film. I signed the paperwork to give permission to use my content. Some of my IP, my intellectual property, my ideas. Right. And then two days before filming was meant to start, they pulled the plug. And then nine months later, they released a, an episode on Netflix called um, "Money Explained: Get Rich Quick," and that video looks and sounds very much like the video that I recorded with them. Wow! No, yeah, just... yeah. So they cut me out on Netflix, but if you wait to the very end, it's a special thanks, and my name's on there.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's how they how they get around it. I yeah. and I never
2: got paid. I paid, but I signed the paperwork. I genuinely thought we were doing this together, and I would have been in that documentary, but I, no, they used the talking head thing. And then they went through my YouTube channel and they, they pretty much built the episode based on what I said for it. It was almost like they used another narrator an American narrator to narrate the words that I'd said, but,
1: um, it's funny because I've, I actually had, I've had the same thing happen to me a couple of times. I had vice came, talked to me. we all excited, asked me to look at this, look at that. And then, then never got back with me. Next thing I know, there was a eight months later, a, an episode came out. They used all my, they used one of my stories, used all my material, and then at the very end, they said, they gave me a, they called it a, um, oh, a consulting producer credit. Yeah. It's like, and so when I complained, hey, what's going on? You owe me this much money. We talked about this. We talked about that. They were like, oh, we we didn't realize we gave you a credit. <laughs> like, I don't want a credit. I want the credit and take that the, to the well. bank, eh? Huh?
2: Take that to the bank and pay with something
1: with the yeah, credit. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. They ended up, ended, they did end up giving me something, but not nearly what I deserved. But then again, it's like, okay, do you spend five or $10,000 to fight them in court to get half of that?
2: Yeah. Most people disappear, right? That's how yeah. I felt with Netflix. But the, the irony about mine is my whole thing is about being scammed and how to avoid being scammed. And I got scammed by yeah. Netflix. <laughs> making an episode about scams, right? Yeah. So
1: I, I get it. I hear the I hear it. Um okay, listen. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And um let me know if I can do anything. Yeah,
2: brilliant. Cheers, Matt. Appreciate it. See you later.
1: Thank you. Hey, listen, I appreciate it and uh thanks to Mike Winnett. Um I uh, if you like the video, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified of videos like this. Leave me a comment that uh, comments section and i will try and respond to you i try and i I don't know if i'm at 80 or 90 percent i mean that you know of responding i don't know i i hit the bells i mean i hit the i hit the you know the little you know heart a lot of them sometimes sometimes they don't require response um and but typically if it requires a response i try and respond um i probably get 70 80 percent of the ones where they probably deserve a response so uh, leave me a comment or if you really want to talk to me in the description in the description box you'll see my email is always there. I appreciate you guys watching. If you like the video, do me a favor also. YouTube has a thank you button where you can actually donate to the channel. It's like a dollar ninety. I think you could all donate like $1.99 or $2.99 or $4.99. That would really help. And um yeah, so I appreciate and see ya.